Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek Edition, everybody. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It's, um, boy, who's who's pumped? Who's pumped uh, for this? For week 92? Week, big old 90, just fucking week Reggie White. Sure. <laughs> the Minister of Defense. Mm-hmm. We're going to sack some quarterbacks, and we're going to invite <laughs> some people to church. That's well, what we're up to today. I guess we should do it in the normal way. Not last the sleazy way? Last week. Well, that, no one's making any G's on this one. <laughs> no, I I've yet real. to make a single G off of this project, for sure. <laughs> not, not a G. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, last place last week was Voyager. What a surprise. I'm just waiting for the sound of surprise. Yeah. This week, uh, we watched one. What? Ben's pick of the week. Huh? Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Hell yeah. Oh. Right? Hey, uh, does uh, Jacob Dylan have that song start so quiet because he's never gonna he's never gonna pick up his own volume? I, I it is a it is a good question, and the version that I just played is actually compressed all to hell because it starts mad quiet. It's so, it was so quiet. I was like, oh, it's like they're afraid to start the song. They don't want to scare yeah. anybody off. I'm sorry. This is Ben's pick of the week, huh? Okay. <laughs> yep. Fair enough. Seven grills Balana and Harry Kim about uh, random shit, and when she asks about Balana's sex life, it starts to go bad. But it's just a simulation. The doctor, who knows nothing, is tutoring her on the finer points of making small talk. On the bridge, the senior staff detects a Mutara Nebula, but it's a funny one that gives the real Harry Kim, not the simulated one, a bad headache. And you you know what that's like when, when Garrett Wong gets a headache. Uh, then the rest of the crew starts to go down and they get weird burns on their skin and shit. And we go to credits. The crew is in so much pain, they can't even turn the ship around until Tuvork hulks up and does it himself. Yeah, Tom Paris really uh, really falls down on this one. <laughs> He's so close to that panel, and he just can't take it one second more. He just needs to fucking... He needs to learn what we all learned from a little movie called Roadhouse, that pain don't hurt. That dude is like me in 2020. He is just about ready. 
He's just ready for it. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is fine. This way's out. This way's okay. Some a scrub on the bridge even died. Yeah. We never learned that guy's name. No. And Voyager ain't got that many people, so. I, I, again, I assume someone's keeping track somewhere on the internet about all the dead crew. Yeah, this officially puts them down to 140. Okay. Uh, yet another situation where it's going to take a year to go around the nebula. And while they are willing to do 70 years, they are not willing to do 71. <laughs> so the doctor suggests the whole crew go into stasis while he guides the ship through the nebula. It's supposed to take you know, like, a month to do that. They got 10 years back from Kess. Why can't they spend one here? I just keep assuming you're not going to get home that way anyway. You're not going to fly 70 years home. You're definitely going to get blown up. You're in a firefight every week. Just like... Go around and maybe you'll find a cool wormhole or some other kind of thing that'll cut some time off your journey. Like, I don't know why they're so worried about beelining it. That that They're going to die that way. Or something else terrible is going to happen. Last week they ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we noticed we haven't talked about that again. Yeah, they it does seem... not seem to be a problem when they suddenly need 140 stasis chambers, huh? Nope, they seem totally cool on gas. Again, they got the <laughs> 20 kilograms or whatever. They, they got, got 20 kilograms of it right off of the surface, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the doctor is going to guide it through and everyone's going to go into stasis. Seven was also unaffected by the nebula, so she's tapped to stay awake with the doctor as his assistant or whatever. Uh, Chaco and Janeway chat about how wise it is or may not be to leave Seven running the, the show, even though they definitely said the doctor would be in charge. Uh, yeah. but Janeway thinks she can count on Seven for gut reasons. Those reasons the data wouldn't understand. Yeah, and but he would wonder, what if I have no gut? Mm -hmm. Have we seen that one already? We've seen that. I listened to the brother date not that long ago for that one, and we were annoyed. Um, The crew say their goodbyes and crawl into their little stasis beds. Um, We see some of Seven's daily routine, but almost immediately, Teepy is found unconscious on the floor outside of the stasis room. He must have been. Turns out he's claustrophobic. Yeah, he must have been sleepwalking or something. They put the little guy back in his bed, but Seven's been getting kind of cranky, so the doctor orders her to go back and do more studying on the holodeck about interacting with people. Um, But then the doctor doesn't like how she's doing it, and they're bickering a bit when the computer warns them about an antimatter containment issue. The doctor reads her all of the explosions happening all over the ship on his little panel there. But when she gets to engineering, she finds absolutely nothing is wrong. It yep. turns out the gel packs are suffering, probably from the same thing hurting the people on board. They go off to repair them, and then the doctor starts blipping in and out. They gotta rush back to sick bay and find the mobile emitter has been damaged. <clears throat> Everything's breaking, dude. And yeah, not it's er- real bad. Not breaking too. Just regular breaking. <laughs> that was this week's How Did This Get Made? I listened to it yesterday. <laughs> I love June Diane Raphael's absolute disgust for breakdancing. She will not budge. She won't give an inch on that. Uh, now it's all on Seven's shoulders because the doc can't leave sick bay. Because they had to go back there and put his program back in it. Um, then we cut to 29 days in. And um, Seven is having disturbing dreams. They don't actually look that disturbing, but whatever. Um, the computer is absolute shit now, but... Seven... Oh, she does wake up from that dream shouting, why would I be wearing this? 
<laughs> Why am I wearing this in this dream? Uh, Seven determines she only has to hold out for six more days. She thinks she comes across TP again, but when she follows his voice, she finds that uh, he's just hanging in his little stasis bed, so... Then the computer alerts her about an alien ship approaching. We do a whole thing with the captain of this other ship. He says he's trying to cross the nebula, and he's looking to trade supplies. Um, She invites him over, but he's super greasy, and he keeps creeping up behind her and stuff. And, um... Uh, she escorts him out under phaser, holding a phaser, and then she hears TP again and turns to find him, but when she turns back, that alien captain is gone. She and the doctor try to locate him on sensors, but there's no evidence that there was ever even a ship. She uh, goes out to try and hunt him down again, and she claims she ain't scared. She's made out of metal, but she's all woman. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. Did she say that? She might have said that. Um, <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> there are still 16 minutes left in this episode. Um, she starts hearing the whole crew crying out for help. So her mind is uh, supremely fucked now. The guy keeps taunting her on the comms like a VCR interactive board game would. She uh, she thinks she's trapped the alien captain on the bridge. And the doctor's mobile again now. You know. Because I guess that's what he was working on. He, he spent two weeks working on nothing else, so. Right. So they go to meet up on the bridge, but then she runs right into the alien in engineering who's impervious to her phaser. He, she just. Yeah, you know why. He doesn't feed on the razor or anything, but it ain't hurting him. She still somehow doesn't suspect it's her mind that's broken, even when the room becomes a Borg room when he asks it to. Yeah. Uh, the doctor finds her in engineering, talking to nobody. She finally realizes she might be going nuts. The doctor tells her the gel packs have been going crazy, too. Seven says that one time, when she was a drone, she was separated from the hive mind for a few hours and basically lost it then, too. Um, the doctor breaks again, and now she's really all alone. She gets visited by a ghost of a burned-up Harry Kim in Astrometrics, and then she roams the hallways and bumps into a real nerd Borg. I thought maybe it was Conan for a second. <laughs> it had big Conan energy. <laughs> the Borg yells at her a lot. You know what? I might just stop writing all this down. I'll just say she hallucinates a ton, and it's all bad stuff, and eventually she takes some of the stasis units offline to use the power for the engines, which are going to shit. Then she cuts life support to all decks and channels that back into the stasis units. And even though she only has to make it a few minutes, and that's a huge cargo bay... She somehow loses consciousness immediately. <laughs> she immediately runs out of oxygen and falls unconscious. It's like when there's a very tiny breach in your spacesuit last week. <laughs> and the computer's like, you're gonna die in 30 seconds. It's over oh, for God, you, it's buddy. it's so bad. Oh, no. Uh, good thing that thing had backup systems. Um... She wakes up in sickbay later, and everything's just fine now. Uh, it's then that Seven sees the moon outside and knows she's still hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to stop saying that. Um, Seven sees the whole gang eating together in the mess hall and finally decides to join them for companionship. They cap on TP for a bit, and again, everything's totally cool now at the end of the episode. <sighs> Somehow this was Ben's pick of the week. W what did you think this episode was about? 
Oh, no, let's start with him because he's wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> he says, uh, confronting your fears makes you stronger. Mm. This is the sort of the seven episode we needed to have her take a big leap forward in her development as a human being. The premise is not new, but solid fodder for sci-fi. And for some reason, Voyager really loves the horror angle. They really do. I've written it many times that yet another horror episode from Voyager is occurring. And and he's a six. Okay. Uh, I think this is a straight up and down no man is an island story. Okay. Seven thinks socializing is stupid and useless and inefficient or whatever, and it takes pretty strong counter evidence to convince her that people are important and you need to have people in your life. Mm-hmm. I guess you do need sci-fi nonsense if you want to tell this story in 40 minutes. Like, if you're not going to commit to long character arcs what with if, someone going insane over the course of weeks and weeks. What if they want to tell it in three hours? Because that's how long this episode was, right? Uh, well... It did feel that way, but that was just because of the Mutara-class nebula we were in. <laughs> okay, good. Um, look, I'm fine with it. I gave it a five. Okay. Um, it's not groundbreaking, but it's fine. I did agree that the take was probably the best part of the episode. I have, I think we've done this one a couple of times. The greatest terror is being alone in the world. Yep. And I said, eh. Maybe for some people, I give it a four. <laughs> for some reason, that is not something that I am ever afraid of. Um, well, how did they do? How'd they do with this one? Well, How'd they we, handle this old episode? We should say that Ben doubled up, gave it another six on execution. Yeah. Uh, some Something I pulled out. Shouldn't human being always outrank unfeeling hologram? I guess we know where Ben stands on this one. He's I don't know. In the Picardos, not a person camp. I th- I kind of agreed with Janeway on this one. I don't like Schmollis, but I mean, do you turn it over to seven? Yeah, to seven of nine. Uh, none of these mofo's even mentioned the fact that she willingly almost sacrificed herself to save their asses. Yeah. Um, when she wakes up and they're all surrounding her. I, I think you were supposed to get that out of the looks of sympathy they all had on their face. Uh-huh. At what an ordeal she'd been through. But they, it's true, they don't say, hey, thanks for risking your life or whatever. No, they really don't. But maybe she wasn't really in any danger because that cargo bay was huge. Well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, 100%, right? <laughs> maybe she fell asleep because she just had a tough time and she was tuckered out. Maybe she was like, if I go to sleep, the hallucinations will stop. <laughs> I'll just have those sleep I'll just ones. have snow dreams. I'll have the snow dreams and I can't hurt anybody when I'm doing a snow dream. Yeah. Safe in there. Uh, I was not anywhere near as charitable on this episode. Uh, let's see. Yet another stupid thing they can't fly through or around. I'm tired of this dilemma. Um, uh, yet another Star Trek episode where somebody has to run the ship all by themselves and something horror-related happens every single time. Um, yet another episode where somebody is a very slow thinker and despite all of the wild shit happening around, can't figure out that it ain't real. Some of these are odd hallucinations for a woman-child ex-Borg to have. Like, what's this big rapey guy? Where did he come from? What is this? Why did she make this guy? He's just inside her somewhere. It's, uh, 
His name is Trajan, and he's fucking he's he's the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. And <laughs> I didn't want to talk you know about what? him. She probably like, saw Beauty and the Beast when she was a kid. It was too scary for her. When we had our friends visiting us for Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, they they brought their little kid with them, and she got really scared watching Beauty and the Beast. But she kept saying that tomorrow, if I'm not if I'm not scared, we can watch it. And that was like she was trying to rationalize it to everybody. <laughs> that sounds like what happened with Seven. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. This guy got an insane number of lines. Oh, he's he has more lines than Schmollis. Yeah. I, he is all over this episode, and I didn't understand any of it. Because it becomes clear pretty early on that he ain't real. Yeah. It's hard to miss. Um. Anyway, all of her hallucinations are bad and mostly just people being mean to her or yelling at her. I think her biggest fear may not be loneliness, but just being disliked in general. Um, will the ship be damaged at all next week after yet another total systems failure? <laughs> no. Uh, they lost one third of the computer gel packs. Mm-hmm. An amount which caused the ship to get real stupid and future imperfecty. Yep. <laughs> Will anybody name that guy who died or miss him? No. Oh, yeah. We're not going to have his funeral where Chakotay's all busted up. I thought it was only salvaged a little by Jerry Ryan's odd dedication to this very dumb series. (laughs) Why does she care? (laughs) Like, I know this is her first season, but by the end of season one, it was pretty easy to tell that no one on Voyager gave a crap about what was happening for some reason she's still trying to make these performances work despite these awful 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 scripts i mean look it could have been tom paris alone on the ship it could have been harry kim alone on the ship at least seven of nine gives them something to work with like some angle can you imagine if they had to invent some reason why harry kim was especially susceptible to loneliness (laughs) now and you'd be like i don't know man we've seen him for four years well you can't just make this up now i know uh, anyway, it was a two for me. I, I hated it a lot. I thought it was very hard to watch. <laughs> it was terrible to watch for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's way too much background music this week. Particularly up top, it just plays over all of the dialogue. <laughs> I was like, did I leave an... Did I leave like is this is this background music from Star Trek Online? Did I leave that window running or something? <laughs> and that's why I'm constantly hearing them. Like no, no, it's and I hit pause. And I'm like no, it was Voyager. It's just too much background music. Yeah. Uh, then you know I hate hallucinations and dreams, and that's the visual language of this whole episode. Yup. Uh, the nebula is such a contrivance for the story. Mm-hmm. How how did they this thing is so big that it would take them a year to go around and a month to go straight through? How did they not know it was coming until they were on it? On top they of it. They fly up to it and they start taking scans like, wow, what's this? Oh man, check this fucking they thing fucking, out. They fucking fly into it and then they're like, Oh, this sucks. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> also, I love that there was no way to tell before they flew in that it was gonna do that. Nope. <laughs> uh I, well, yeah, what does what does Mutara class mean? Does it just mean purple? Ah, uh, yeah, could be. Did they were just like, hey, that looks like the Mutara Nebula from Star Trek Two. Everyone loved that movie. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's what class it is. I guess. Do we? Is there are there any properties of those? Oh yeah, it's uh, real easy to do three D tactics against a two D twentieth century human in them. <laughs> we know that about them for sure. 
By the way, I've always loved the conceit that because Khan was from 1996, he couldn't think of going up or down. Like, yep. what? 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 Like, <laughs> I mean, they definitely had air. Yeah, in 1996, there obviously was no air component to the war. I guess not. (laughs) Khan never played Ace Combat 2. I mean, they put him in a sleeper ship and sent him off. They must have had space tech. There was no... Uh No one was fighting with scramjets or anything up there? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, they definitely were not. Whatever. Uh, Why is Seven immune? Or at least why does the doctor think she might be immune? There's no theory for it. He just just a thing he noticed, and because they can't waste an extra minute before they run into this fucking nebula again, they're just like, <laughs> "All right, to you then." That's right. Does yeah. anyone think for a second about what all this radiation might do to the ship? I know that uh, that the idea that Voyager has neural gel packs has not come up three times in four years, but uh, <laughs> did anyone on the ship think about it? Didn't uh, seem to. How can they possibly just whip up stasis pods for the crew? Yeah. Uh, 140 is... of them. Yeah, exactly. And they had, like, room for them all, and they could route, like... They had good fuses so that they could run power to 140 of these fucking things. They didn't trip breakers or anything. Mm-hmm. Who is Trajus? What is the basis for this hallucination? Did she invent a whole alien race? <laughs> Did they think for even a minute, the writers, about what this semi-rape hallucination might mean for this character? What it invites us to think about her? Do they, do, do they Have they forgotten yet again that she's mentally nine? Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, the whole thing is a little bit arch. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You read the description, so you, uh, I didn't say the part where uh, after the Harry Kim hallucination, she's still got to keep that ship functioning, even though it's a student film now. Yeah. Because she's just fucking green fog and Dutch angles the rest of the show. But uh, Again, and that Conan Borg and everything, and it was just like, what? 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 Yeah, I had a three, but you know what it is, a two. Yeah, it wasn't a very good one. Sorry, Ben. Ben, Ben's a four on uh, world building, uh, but it seems like it's more questions than answers. Yeah, the the one I picked out was that the doctor can't just project himself onto the bridge. I thought yeah, Bellana that's one of the had put emitters up there or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, they gave up on all of that. Well, here's they gave up on all of that after the uh, after they found the mobile emitter in 1992, but then. But then the the Herogen made yeah. Harry Kim put mo- emitters everywhere, but I guess they ripped those back out, huh? Yep, they took those back out again, including the ones that were up before that, I guess. In fact, even when he starts malfunctioning in uh, engineering, they've got to race back to sickbay. He can't just transfer his program there. Like, oh no, if I do that, my mobile emitter will fall on the ground. <laughs> what would I do? Oh, can you imagine? You can't five I can't trust seven of nine to catch this. She's been hallucinating. That's right. Uh, so he's a four on world building, despite the fact that it's all questions from him. Um, someone rem- here's me. Someone remembered about the neural gel packs this week. Mutara class nebulas, subnucleonic radiation, which is like magically bad for people. Um, but also the concept of stasis and the fact that crews have been in stasis for a long time and they know how to make stasis pods and. It never comes up because I guess they never have to go in a bad place for a month. Right. But it does seem like stasis is a technology that exists. 
And in this one, they don't even have to get sealed into fiberglass. So, like, uh, like when all them oily kids got sick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the kids didn't get sick, but they made Pulaski the sick. Greasy, hairless teens. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stasis is kind of a big concept. Everything else is kind of whatever. I went ahead and gave it the three. Okay. Um. All right, yeah, this dang nebula that fucks up the crew and all the ship's tech, all the stuff about stasis. It's just like taking a nap. And um, Janeway says crews have been in stasis much longer than a month, whatever. Yep. Which makes sense. A month would be kind of a weird amount of time to put a crew into stasis. Um, didn't the gel packs get sick another time when the bug, when the big, well, they caught the a, big they CGI caught a virus? Bugs. Yeah, big CGI bugs did give the neural packs a virus one time. Maybe they weren't that great an idea, those gel packs. Um, well, the ship wasn't, was experimental. was not supposed to be out here for this long, huh? Also, when you're in the writer's room and people are, like, throwing around ideas for what's going to make the show cool and new, if you're if you're running the show, don't you tell people, don't just throw anything out there. Like, let's if you have an idea for something, let's make sure it's rooted in we're going to make a bunch of cool stories out of it. And not just, here's a thing we can throw away into the fucking first episode. We'll have somebody say it, and then we'll never talk about it again. Like, uh-huh. who gives a shit about these gel packs? It's like the same with the variable geometry warpness cells. <laughs> yeah, what is it for? <laughs> it just meant that at some point they had to either make a decision about whether to keep paying for that effect that they've never <laughs> written into a story. No, they didn't. Or just like, you know what, Voyager just fucking, this is just locked down now. They just always have it down. I don't think they still do that effect, do they? I don't know. It could be that they're still using the same five stock Voyager goes to warp shots that from uh, Caretaker. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, who knows? Uh, let's see. The doctor says if he goes offline away from sickbay, his program could be lost. Yeah, well, we don't know what happened at this point, but he does not. The backup module we know is no longer <laughs> on board the ship, so it's just why he's is, in real trouble again. We asked this question like ten episodes ago, though. Why is his program always in danger of being lost? Like, why? Why it's is this a, a thing? It's, it's an amazing question. It makes no sense. It's like, well, we have to load it off of a cassette tape, but unfortunately <laughs> the cassette tape reader eats the tape every time, <laughs> and then we have to put a fresh cassette in when we turn them off. Because you remember, they had to do the thing where they were trying to reprogram one from scratch or whatever, and they couldn't uh-huh. do it. But then we found out about the backup module, which just seemed like a totally functional and up-to-date doctor with all of the knowledge of what was happening. Uh huh. It's I whatever. I don't fucking care. Um. Again, what happened when she took life support offline was very weird. She just went to sleep immediately. Did she accidentally vent all the oxygen too? She shouldn't have. She shouldn't have done that. That was not necessary. When they wake up in those stasis beds, there's not going to be any oxygen in there. (laughs) (laughs) She's in the stasis room. Uh huh. If she doesn't have she oxygen... She could have left life support on in that one room, for sure. <laughs> also, if she is passed out due to lack of oxygen, what's going to happen when everyone gets out of the beds? Yeah, it's going to be real bad. I don't... Tom Paris is going to bust out early and choke to death, <laughs> and then everyone else is going to choke to death. It's, I just... I wish someone had thought a little bit about what that scene was. It's meant to be heroic, I guess, but it's like... We don't need it in every episode. Yeah. We don't need someone to sacrifice their life and then there's a technological reason why they weren't killed. Yeah, she already went through the ringer. Like, that should be good enough. It should be good enough that she had a lot of hallucinations but still saved the day. She didn't have to then try to sacrifice her life. Um, 
I found there were a lot of questions and inconsistencies. I gave it a two. Characterization. Ben gave it a seven. Yep. Sassy Harry Kim is still here as he gives TP. I did notice that. He is sassier this week. Yeah, I kept giving him shit about being scared about stasis. Which is Garrett Long must have said something to the producers, like, you know what, I'm gonna be sassy now. And they were like, We no one cares. Go ahead. <laughs> no one's watching this. I don't know if you've we seen We haven't the bothered to give you any character attributes this to this point, so why not? But we're also gonna write it into the show as you finding yourself or whatever. Um, and he says some personality that doesn't suck, so that's good. Uh, I would agree with that. The rest of this, though, woof. Um, was Harry Kim born in South Carolina? That's what he says. I mean, that's what the hollow Harry Kim says. Was that just like a make-em-up? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Because what? South Carolina? South Carolina was like, different. I'm not loading this file. Just have him say something. <laughs> just like picked a random spot on the globe. Yeah, good question. I'm from Calcutta. What? <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? You sure? Are you, are you? Yep. I guess I was born there. I hope she takes that information out of the holodeck and tries to use it in real life. <laughs> um, uh, Seven is still learning how to be a person from the only non-person. Everyone thinks this, by the way, that he's not a person. Um, That's right. On board. Well, especially since Cass is gone. Yes, Cass was the only one who tried to treat him like a person. Yep. I thought... Um, I thought Seven was second in command of the whole ship, but for some reason she answers to the doctor now. Like, wasn't it just a couple weeks ago she was giving orders to everybody? Uh, under certain circumstances, for sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she cannot handle this mission at all. She hallucinates and freaks out the whole damn time because she can't handle being alone. I mean, the ship makes it through, but she has a hell of a time. And then she tries to make friends with people in the end. Janeway thinks Seven has been insolent, but that she can be redeemed. Uh-huh. Janeway sucks, I caught though. that language also. Janeway's the worst, <laughs> and she sucks. She always sucks. That's very <laughs> consistent every week. That is true. Uh, when she said she'd been insolent, I was like, I was doing the meme of that guy who kind of, like, blinks and turns, he, like, gets looking uh-huh. around like, what the fuck? Another one. Yeah, I was being that guy. Um... Chaco. And insulin is definitely something that an emperor would say. <laughs> or like someone would or... say to like a house servant or something. Like yeah. insulin. Uh, uh, Chaco doesn't trust Seven. Um, TP either has claustrophobia or some kind of stasis anxiety or something. I, I didn't pay attention. It doesn't matter. Um, overall, it was a four for me. Uh... I guess I'm glad that Chakotay at least asked Janeway why she trusted Seven with the ship. Even if the answer was disappointing. But I thought her answer was underwhelming. <laughs> like, we've seen Seven butt heads about methods and policies, but she pretty much always goes along with the mission. Yeah. And rather than say any of that, Janeway just appeals to her intuition. Yeah. She acts like, like it's she's something not like, that she Yeah, has. she kind of wants to do everything her own way, but she's never like, no, I don't think we should do that at all. I don't know. She, But she... She indicates that she has intuition, but maybe Chaco doesn't. Like, this is something that I know as captain with my intuition. Uh, you, exactly. maybe someday you'll get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Seven and Shmolus are both real prickly, but they also both kind of soften as the stakes get higher. Yeah. Uh, the idea that Seven should hate and fear being alone is interesting, but it seems a little bit unmotivated. 
I felt like they didn't need to make it especially bad for her because she was a Borg. Especially if they're going to make her hallucinations worse because she was a Borg. Yeah. It seems like overload. Uh, no one else is in this, really, except that everyone sasses Tom Paris. Uh, even new sassy Harry Kim. Mm-hmm. I gave it four like you. Okay. We're racing through this one. What about quick hitters? Yeah, I got a few. Uh... This is why you don't charge headlong into a Matara class nebula. Voyager was out of gas last week. Can they replicate and power 140 stasis units? <laughs> yes, without question. I wouldn't want to work for Schmullis either. Yeah. I honestly believe she can be redeemed, Janeway says. <laughs> as though Seven is a murderer and not a kidnapped and abused child. It's true. She was way less mean about that actual murderer they had on board for a while. Yeah. And then, in the second holodeck thing, it seems like Seven just tells Neelix that he knows something about warp fields to try and get the computer to solve the problem for her. (laughs) And it's like, that's a real Moriarty problem for me again. (laughs) Like, you shouldn't just be able to say magic words and then the holodeck is smarter than everyone. It's literally my only quick hitter I wrote is, why does the Doctor's Social Graces program contain characters that all know everything about warp theory? Uh Uh-huh. Because then Janeway comes, Hollow Janeway joins the conversation too. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, what if this whole episode was a scenario Janeway was making Schmellus and Seven run to learn to get along? I had that thought halfway through. Yeah, like the moon was out there. When they were bickering. (laughs) Like, no, the whole nebula wasn't real. This is just some shit Janeway's making them do. (laughs) Uh, I thought that snow dream seemed nice. I don't think that'd be scary to me. That's what I was saying. She talks about her disturbing dreams, and I was like, "Uh, maybe I turned away and I missed the disturbing parts. I only remember it being, like, just kind of nice and She's like, I was in Montana, and it was winter. And you're like, yeah, I get it. I wouldn't want to be there either, but, like... Seemed fine. I don't know. For a dream, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Even in this scenario, she should report her hallucinations to the doctor. Yeah. Like, I know there's only two people on the ship, but one of them is the doctor. So... If you start having hallucinations, you should tell him. Uh, If it was just me and you on a ship alone, I think I would have the responsibility to tell you if I was having hallucinations. Regardless <laughs> hey, man, of having, whether or not I would you have, have real bad hallucinations a fucking Tom medical degree or something. Yeah, even if all I could do is go, oh man, that must suck. Like, you, you need to know that information. <laughs> yeah. So that you don't trust yeah, just me in with case critical you see tasks. Me arguing with somebody who's not there or firing a phaser wildly <laughs> around the room. Right, as yeah, but it does. It's perfectly in keeping with Star Trek, where no one tells the Doctor anything. Yep, Star Trek just can't get that one right. Yeah, you definitely could survive without recycling oxygen for eleven <laughs> minutes in a room that size. It's huge. Yeah, Ugh. and uh, yes, yes, seven. Learn the secret that all introverts have learned before you. If you want to make friends, pick on the Millhouse of the group. <laughs> in this case, Tom Paris. Kind of fits with another episode this week. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, yes, Tom Paris this uh, week got to be that character for sure. I gave best actor to seven most of the time and worst actor to seven shouting no in engineering. <laughs> That's a tough one, huh? One great. If you're going to do a no, like uh, there's a lot of risk that you could get made fun of on the internet for a long time or... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is a risky gamble. Uh, 
Boy, you said you're one quick hitter, huh? That was it, man. I, well, I, when I'm writing the descriptions, most of them go into that. Uh, and then Ben's quick hitter was that she makes a joke that Spock made. Oh, was it one he, like, literally told? Yeah, I guess so. Because I could definitely see him saying it, for sure. I think it's something he says to check off when, uh, at one point. the EMH says he's making a joke in Seven. He says he makes a small joke and Seven says very small. And I thought Spock yeah. definitely could have said that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Mm. Boy, 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 boy. Off boy. to a good start, as always. Thanks, Voyager. Thank uh, you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you can't beat that. Uh, third place last week was Deep Space Nine. Oh, cool. This week we watched For the Cause. <laughs> I know you thought I'd lost my voice earlier, but I'm, I got a second wind. Cassidy Yates has to leave Cisco's quarters early after a hot sexing. She has <laughs> cargo captain stuff to do, but it seems like things are going really well between these two. Eddington gives a security briefing about sending some industrial replicators to Cardassia. Uh, Eddington's involved because they think the Maquis might try to yank them. Yeah. Cisco barks out some orders for how to proceed, and then Odo and Eddington stay after to tell Cisco they think Cassidy Yates is a damn Maquis smuggler. It's big. Credits. Foreshadowed news. <laughs> it's right. It's, it has not been slow played at all. Yeah. This is new. It is not Babylon 5 where we've been seeing Stims' Stims addiction build <laughs> over the course of many episodes before it finally comes to a head. Yep. Uh, Odo and Eddington lay out their case about Cassidy, and Cisco is grumpy about it, but he lets them know he's okay with some further investigation if they're extra tricky about it. Yep. Everybody's watching some space ball, space handball, space racquetball. I don't know what they're playing. Yeah, it's some kind of space racquetball. But Garrick keeps eyeing teenage Zial. Teenage, right? Well, I think she was 13 when we met her, <laughs> and that was... Last year. Oh, it was this year? Was last gonna, year. I was going to say last year, but I don't remember. <laughs> no, it might have been last year. Well, It would be a weird recast so soon, huh? She, like, I fucks the shit out of him in return. And then Bashir tries to pour some cold water on it, but they just keep eyeing each other. Indiscretion was week 75. That was only 17 weeks ago. She's grown a lot in those 17 yep. weeks. Cisco's cooking dinner for Cassidy when uh, Jake asks what a fucking plumerian squid finch smells like. I don't care what he said. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was some kind of bat, I think, which Whatever. is like a wild thing to smell. <laughs> but Jake, none of us have ever smelled hey, get any get away bats. from this bat, huh? I just caught it out of the air just to take a whiff. Uh, Cisco uses that as an excuse to grill Cassidy about like where she makes her cargo runs and stuff. Because earlier, part of their case was that she she makes a run to whatever sector it's near the Badlands. That's where she would go to meet the Maquis. Whatever. Um, you know, trying to sniff out a smuggler, but she sidesteps all of that business. Uh, Garrick and Zial take an elevator ride together, and they make some sort of friendly conversation. Garrick seems to be afraid of her. For reasons we'll get into later in the episode. 
Uh, Cassidy yeah. is told by Odo that she can't leave for six hours while he does an inspection for some virus. She immediately pulls a do you know who I am and calls Cisco directly to complain. Uh, Eddington recommends they proceed anyway with the search, but Cisco caves and lets her go. Then he orders the Defiant to follow her and see if she makes any rendezvouses. Yeah, he, uh, he really trusts Worf around civilian merchant ships. (laughs) Well, it's been three weeks or whatever. It's been a couple of weeks, huh? (laughs) As expected, Yates makes a detour into the Badlands. No reason to do that but to meet with the Maquis. Meanwhile, Zial shows up to the tailor shop and invites Garrick to the hollow sauna. She says it's too hot for almost anybody on board, but not us two Cardis. Uh, and Garrick accepts. Cisco and Jake have a conversation about Cassidy, but Jake doesn't really know what that conversation's about. Cisco gets real serious with him, and Jake looks bewildered. Uh, Cisco's briefed about Yates' activities and is again pretty grumpy about it. Yates gets back from her cargo run. I don't know to call her. Should I call her Cassidy? Sure. All right. Well, it don't matter. Um, and she plays it off like nothing happened. She tells Cisco she's making another cargo run tonight. Jake invites them both to the hollow suite for a ball game, but Cisco passes and Cassidy makes a face that says, I might be fucked. <laughs> she gets uh, <laughs> like 40 warning signs. This she week. does. I mean, in the end, she says she suspected she was in trouble, but that she just couldn't let the Maquis down or whatever. Um, Eddington and Odo say they should make an arrest if this next run goes the same way as the last one. Um, Eddington asks Cisco if he can skip this Cassidy mission so he doesn't have to kill Cisco's girlfriend, maybe. And so he can watch those replicators that the Maquis are so hot for. Uh, Cisco seems to get it and he agrees. Uh, Cisco's going to captain the Defiant himself. I wonder if Eddington knew that was going to be the result of that conversation. It's, uh, we'll get into it later, I guess. Well, yeah, we'll learn. We'll learn what, but it is, um, it really went his way. Let's just say that. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> um, but first Cisco decides to drop in on Cassidy before she leaves. He offers to take her to Risa right after, or sorry, right this damn minute. Even though she must now realize she's been caught, she has to continue. Cisco is bummed out and plays it off like uh, just a crazy idea he randomly had. Kira goes to Garrick's shop and puts hands on him. Tells him to yep. leave Z all alone. <laughs> She's her station mom or whatever. Uh, Garrick she never says, She's 14, Garrick. No. Garrick? Hey, Garrick? It's clearly. She's 14, Garrick. Either the writers have forgotten or they just don't want to get into it. That she is definitely 14. Um. Anyway, Garrick takes this as a good sign. Kira wouldn't try to save him from Assassin Zial, I guess is what he's afraid of. But, like, Quark is in this scene, too, and he restores Garrick's doubt with a little bit of would she know that we know that she knows. Memory Alpha says she was born in 2353. So they aged her up? Uh... I guess maybe she was 13 when the ship crashed and then it was six years later that they found her. Something like that. Okay. That could be. Does that make sense? So I guess she might be as much as 20. 
But still, Garrick seems to be sort of uh, a peer of Ducat. So yeah. it is. Her dad. Gross. Uh, Cassidy's ship is just roaming around the Badlands for hours, and Odo becomes suspicious. He thinks Cisco and the Defiant have been drawn out intentionally so something can happen on DS9. They decide to go over to Cassidy's ship and get some answers. Um, uh, Cassidy says she doesn't know anything about any of that business. She's just smuggling medical supplies to the Maquis. Cut to DS9 and Eddington barking out orders about a secret operation to put the CFI replicators on a Vulcan transport and then to go radio silent for the next nine hours. When Kira comes to see Eddington, he just straight phasers her. Uh, the Defiant leaves the Badlands without Cassidy in tow. He just left her out there. He says it's because he urgently needs to get back to the station, but like, everyone knows. Yeah. It seems like that, huh? <laughs> Eddington orders some uh, some peon to go to ops and take command. And then he takes off his badge and heads out with those fucking replicators. A clean sweep. Cisco takes uh, responsibility for this big replicator fuck up. He gets a call from Eddington who says both these things. Leave us alone. And also, you better watch out. Yes, he does say both, doesn't he? <laughs> It's a weird message. Uh, and he finally lets loose with all of his grievances against the Federation. We'll get into all of those later. They promise to really smoke each other's butts if they ever meet again. <laughs> and they're going to just do it right up each other's butts and that they better protect their butts, what have you. Cisco says he's going to kill Eddington with a trident. <laughs> it's very. It's, it gets personal quick. Uh, Garrick goes to the sauna and uh, just accuses Zial of wanting to kill him. She says she thought about it, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, but she really just wants some fucking company from somebody who might understand her a little bit. So they decide to have a nice old time on some hot rocks. Um, Cassidy does indeed come back to DS9 to turn herself in. She let her crew get away, but she came back to face the music. She said she had to come back because she loves Cisco. Uh, he has her arrested, but seems to promise that he'll be waiting for her when she gets out of jail. Who knows how long that'll be? I guess. Uh, I guess they all expect that the Federation justice is going to be pretty soft on this one, huh? <laughs> well, Cisco's definitely going to put in a good word for her. What is jail like in the Federation? We know Tom Paris is. Uh, uh, digging a hole or something when Janeway meets him? <laughs> yeah. What's he doing? <laughs> something like that. They claim it's manual labor. I only ever really see him like kind of walking around. Yeah. I don't know what he's up to there. That's it for this episode. A lot happened. Um, what What the hell was this thing about? Yeah, Ben says this is about uh, people's true colors are often hidden. Eddington seemed like a good officer. Did he? He seemed, like a, he seemed, seemed like, like a stick a in the mud friend. for sure. Zial seemed like a potential threat. So, yeah, I mean, nobody is quite what they seem in this one, huh? Yep. Now, that could be because someone thought of a whole bunch of new shit for everybody <laughs> to do this week. Uh, how much research did you do on this? Because I did ask the question somewhere in my notes. Was this all just something that they came up with on the fly, or was there any plan? Okay, so it's worse than that. Uh, the the re <laughs> Let's talk about Eddington. The reason that Eddington turns and becomes Maquis is because there was heavy fan speculation that he was a changeling. 
it kind of makes sense when he's introduced. Yeah. That people would think that for sure. And so the guys at DS9 decided that they would never make him a changeling. <laughs> we'll show them. Fuck. It's mature. We'll bring back the Maquis, even though that is a storyline we definitely forgot about in season two. <laughs> uh, and the Cassidy Yates stuff, I don't know. They just thought it'd be neat to put old Ben Sisko through it again, huh? Yeah, there's a double betrayal in this episode. I mean, look, if this were TNG, we would have a lot of good theories about how ruined Riker was by this. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll we'll just see how Cisco plays this one, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the other Jennifer just died. <laughs> yep. Jennifer He's had two. a bad year, kind of. I was worried about Cassidy during Jennifer 2, because I was like, one, he's not going to tell her about this, as we discussed. What happens in the Mirror Universe does not Stays. count. Yeah, of course. Jake probably would have let it slip, frankly. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't seem to be worried about Cassidy during that whole thing, but I guess they were still dating. Uh, anyway. Yeah, man, she was stinking up one of his triangles. <laughs> it's true, he did pick the one with her. Sent on it uh anyway uh i think this one is uh do your duty even when you know it's gonna hurt i guess okay this is what's happening for cisco and cassidy i couldn't think of a way to tie garrick and eddington in garrick was doing his duty to nail the teenagers on board even though it might hurt (sighs) even though he might not be so inclined and then uh, eddington was doing his duty even though for the cause for the cause, even though for the cause, it's hard. It hurts to leave that that ensign or whoever. Hey, maybe we title this one for the cause, but we spell it C O S. No, that's not fun. No, that's because he was anymore. a diddler, and maybe Garrick's a diddler. It could yeah, be. Yeah, it's, it gets right because of the diddlers. Well, and right so now I have diddler fantasy. <laughs> right now I have sketched out good fun on hot rocks. Is that not a good title? <laughs> Actually, uh, all of these episodes have kind of bad sexual politics. All four of them this week. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <sighs> um, it's just a three. Like, okay, it's uh, it's it's nothing. All right, I'm about to blow your fucking mind. I'm ready. I like to prep people for when their mind's about to be blown. Maybe take a step back and examine your own faults. <laughs> I have no idea if the writers intend this to be the take, but think about it. Cisco's betrayed twice in the same day, both to the Maquis. He probably can't begin to understand why, but Eddington tells him how he really feels about Starfleet. Like, why would he leave the Glorious Federation? And why would Cassidy betray their perfect romance? That'd be something I'd spend a lot of time thinking about to see if I was really part of the problem. <laughs> After a day like that? Yeah, definitely you'd be like, I, mean, I think hey, I might have done something. a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I might be the problem. Kel Hudson tried to tell me about a lot of this, and <laughs> and then that uh, we did have that crazy coup. We did have to fight a coup. There was a coup recently. Yeah. Is Starfleet not great? Maybe it's not going that well. Maybe, and maybe I'm a problem. Maybe I should be doing something else. But will Cisco? Time no. will tell. So he'll have, he's going to have a fun new hobby. Anyway, I was so enamored at the idea of Cisco taking a step back and examining his own faults that I gave it a six. That's wild. <laughs> It's wild that your take is a suggestion for a character that you know will not be followed. <laughs> that is not shown in the episode at all. Yeah, it's completely not part of the episode. But, but you know, we're 92 weeks into this, so whatever. <laughs> but if that was the take, let's say that was the take. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be worth six points? 
Oh, it sounds like it, probably. I'm a big fan of introspection. It's not a thing that anyone does in real life. So. <clears throat> well, boy, based on that, how'd they score an execution? Yeah, now you're pretty excited, see? It's, uh-huh. That's what I was talking My about. My mind was, was blown, as indicated, and now I want to know. All right, this was a pretty good one. Um, you got the double the double betrayal of Eddington and Cassidy. They both go off at the same time, both to the Maquis. If you've been watching at home, you didn't see either one coming. So there's surprise. In the episode, they give you the idea pretty much right away of Cassidy being a traitor, but they give it to you so early, you might think it's bait. Yeah. Like, you might go, no, they wouldn't say that right at right after the... Or right into the fucking credits. Especially if you either remembered that Eddington was Maquis from a previous watch oh, well, or yes. that last time Eddington and Cisco butted heads or you had a suspicion that Eddington was a changeling. Yeah. Like, it, do, it does seem like it could be a stitch up at first. Uh, then Eddington turns, and I doubt anybody saw that coming in real time until the scene, like, immediately preceding it. Like, they start to yep. lay some breadcrumbs. Um, yeah, unless you got, so did you talk, uh, did you talk at all about the scene where O'Brien is trying to get a good, some good controversial politics chat going on the bridge seriously? of the Defiant? How come no one tells him to shut up? So how come Worf doesn't say, Chief, we're at work. Yeah, we're very busy here. We're Chief. doing a whole operation. Chief, not on duty, huh? Yeah, O'Brien wants to mix it up about whether the Maquis are terrorists or freedom fighters or whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Eddington plays he plays the eddington card which is i am a stick in the mud it's yeah. actually the world's most perfect cover which is what i'm going to get to soon also <laughs> that he's just like well, i'm not even going to talk about it because it doesn't matter i'm here to do my duty and nothing else but my duty matters and you're just like that's the guy you've known the whole time he sabotages yeah, their true. ship that one time and he's like look i had to do it like no you were well, admiral said i had to do that so <laughs> that yellow admiral the admiral in the yellow jumpsuit that who looks like me he was not for this mission or whatever um. So you believe Cisco's probably messed up about Cassidy, given his attempts to like let her go, and the way he hates seeing Jake getting close to her and tries to warn yeah. Jake, and like obviously the scene right before she leaves where he tries to get her to go to Risa or whatever. Um, the Eddington stuff is more about promising a rivalry for the future, I guess, given that last conversation between them. Yep. But overall, I think it's like a it's a gripping episode. Now, like I, like we were talking about, I'm not sure we saw enough of either of the two traitors before this episode to be invested in this betrayal, for one. Like, Cassidy's been in a couple of episodes, but just barely. Yeah, yeah the, la- the last one I remember was, like, Cisco doesn't want her to move onto the station because it's all <laughs> moving too quick. Yes. And Eddington had been in some episodes and had played a more substantial role, but it was definitely not a main character. Oh, yeah. He's like some weeks he's there and some weeks he's not. And it's just like this guy's just a replacement for George Primen from season one. Yeah, the guy that no one cared about. The guy yeah. who went, Constable Odo. Um, so, you know, I would probably have if I knew we were going to make the big betrayal episode, I would have used them a bit more in the previous few episodes just so people care. Well, here it is better or worse than Seska. Well, okay. All right. Like I, I can probably skip ahead to that part. Oh, you've already, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've definitely covered it. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to be in your notes like that. Uh, let's see. As it happens, we get very little about why Cassidy works for the Maquis, and Eddington's reasoning sounds dishonest. Like, he has a cool speech he wants to make that says nothing about his personal motivations. Even yeah, so that... far... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I saw a really good critique of Deep Space Nine, where uh, uh, everybody that we see joining the Maquis from Starfleet feels like a, like a middle-class visitor to this. Yes. Like a bored middle class, like a Thomas I'm Riker. Join this. Uh, it's Thomas Riker. Sorry, it's like Cal a Hudson. Thelonious Riker. Right. I don't like that they renamed him Thomas. I know it's Thelonious. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He makes this cool speech and doesn't say really anything about his personal motivations. And even that's kind of realistic. Like mm-hmm. he may not be ready to talk about what personally motivates him or maybe it is just what you were talking about some kind of weird he's a tourist hero he's a terrorism tourist yeah hero complex or like uh exactly i think being a tourist in it was exactly what kira accuses thelonious of in that episode yep um but i he finds it easy to throw around those big philosophical accusations or whatever so um i appreciate getting new clever antagonists I found this as an operation, like an even better dupe than the Seska dupe. Yeah. Um, Just because of the great backstory work this guy was doing, where he's just like, I'm the most career-minded, fucking by the book, always follow the rules, officer you'll ever meet. Everyone will hate me, I'm so by the book. Yes. And then he turns out to be... And also... The minute I'm out of the room, no one thinks about me. Yes, that's right. I'm fucking, no one will ever suspect me of a single thing anywhere. Well, never once have we said, where's Eddington this week? (laughs) So, yes, I found it better than Seska, you know, just given the work he put in. Um, Are there maybe too many foes right now, though? (laughs) We got the Maquis. Right. The Klingons. Right. The Dominion question mark? I don't know what's up with them. They keep going to the other quadrant. Maybe. <laughs> um, maybe we like the Cardis right now because the Klingons are beating their asses, but it's not like anybody trusts them. Right. This show has, like, a lot of threats. Maybe that'll mean good TV, or maybe it'll mean, like, depending on the week, we'll be like, so what's going on with the Dominion? Yeah, or... let's not forget uh, you left out Kai Win. Right, Kai Win, the political villain. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think we're on real good terms with the Romulans right now after that last shit that went down. No, and I I was going to say DS9 ignores the Romulans, but they were in that weird Tal Shiar Obsidian Order thing. Yep, and then also after... Wait, I forget if it was before or after when the Romulans were going to blow up the station. You know the one where Future <laughs> O'Brien died? That was that was before, I'm I sorry, Current O'Brien was replaced with Future O'Brien? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was before that, I think. But yes, that was a Romulan plot for some reason. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not our O'Brien. Our O'Brien's dead. We got some kind of Maybe Admiral clone. Layton still has some cronies kicking around in the Federation. hmm Red Squad is still menacing in some way. So it's a show with, like... Depending on the week, they could have any number of villains, and I don't know whether that's good or bad. But again, overall, gripping, good episode, and especially given the previous three or four weeks of all oh, of the yeah. sh- all of the shows, all every series, uh, I gave it a seven. Uh, I'm not too far off. Uh, I think this is an interesting episode. 
Cisco takes an L here, and the only consolation he gets is that Cassidy still loves him. <laughs> uh, otherwise, the only winner this week is Eddington. Yeah, he won big. No one foils anything. The bad guy gets away. Cassidy really is a sl- uh, smuggler. The Garrick Zial stuff doesn't work for me. Quark thinks it's a date, and there's not really any reason for us to think otherwise, since no one points out that they're both outcasts until she says it in the second to last scene. Mm-hmm. But they must be close to 40 years apart in age, so that's <laughs> a little ugly. Yep. And uh, we have very few episodes that focus on Garrick's feelings about not being able to return to Cardassia, so it would have been more useful to start there instead of this, is she going to try to kill me angle? Yeah. Uh, not the best, but this episode does mostly work, and I gave it a six. Yeah, you notice in my rundown... You didn't really talk about that plot so much. For the execution, I don't think I mentioned Garrick at all, because that was a very clear C plot. Yeah, definitely. Which is, it's wild, because Garrick's not in every episode, so to have him in a C plot is an odd idea. Yeah. Because you could have just not had him at all. Yeah, and um, I don't know if we mentioned it was a six in execution from Ben. Right. Um... He thought the it's just it's just a plot summary, really. Yeah, he reads off a plot summary. He says the galaxy all things interesting enough, but just sort of a human interest piece. Yeah, they didn't need to do it. They could have spent more time on the two main plots that are much, much more important. So, uh, world building. Uh, Benson two. Uh, security ratings. Uh, Eddington does make the bizarre claim that if Cassidy Yates is a Maquis, she's no longer a Federation citizen and doesn't have protections. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, which is an interesting idea. I think that they remembered that the uh, that the Native American colony in Journey's End voluntarily left the Federation. So they wouldn't have to leave their planet. So they wouldn't have to leave their planet, and they agreed to be ruled by the Cardassians. And that episode is definitely the inciting incident of the Maquis. One but, of them, for sure, yeah. Yeah, but like... Um, I don't think that necessarily means that a Federation citizen stops being, a, gets expatriated just because they, uh, well, I don't know if you are smuggling for the Maquis. Also had that in your notes, but it was in my notes as well. Yeah, it is wild. Because it's a crazy statement. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have industrial replicators. Bejra got one. The Cardassians get 12, but they're not just one planet. Uh, the state of the Cardassian Union, uh, Maquis moves both. Uh, taking advantage of the Klingons and then this big play against the Federation. Cardassian-clothed saunas, Bajoran racquetball. Uh, I gave it the standard three. Okay. Uh, let's see. The Maquis are thriving because the Cardis are busy with the Klingons. Again, those replicators, which are super cool in su- mostly unexplained ways. Well, we know they're industrial. Yes. So they can make I-beams and concrete, I guess. Yeah, it's like playing SimCity, I imagine. They probably don't make uh, Earl Grey tea, though, or chocolate mousse. That's dumb. Each big replicator should come with a little one. Yeah, probably. Um, The thing about that Eddington says about you can't be a Maquis if you... I mean, you can't be a Federation if you're a Maquis or whatever. The Hatsanas. Did Gulducott have... Sorry, did Garrick have Galducott's dad tortured and killed? Uh, this we have never learned. No. I think 
there might have been some hint that Garrick was responsible for something to do with Golducott's father. Well, we knew... Did he mention his dad before? I don't remember. Yeah, I think his dad has come up. Scrain's dad? That's it. The, they have been, <laughs> Yes, the, but they may keep it at real close. And now Zial just comes out and says that her grandfather was uh, tortured and killed by Garrick. And again, I assumed that meant her dad's dad, because her mom's dad was... It would be weird if it was her Bajoran grandfather, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I only had it as a two. The Maki stuff could be important, or we could not talk about them for two seasons. Like, it's hard to say when you're watching this yeah. episode. Um, they have been out of the picture since Cal Hudson, so. Except that, except for when Thelonious said he was one. <laughs> when uh, he unilaterally, that was Cal Hudson, wasn't it? No, I think that was season three when Thelonious shows up. I think he unilaterally declared himself Maki, but like none of the Maki knew he was with them. <laughs> I think he just showed up and went, yeah, I'm a Maki now. Oh, uh, yeah, I think that's what happened for sure. Yeah. Uh, characterization. In early 2371, he joined the Maki. Because I don't think that was that long ago. Uh, ben gave it an... There's not a link to that. That sucks. Ben gave it an 8 on characterization. Ooh, that's a big score. Uh, he says O'Brien's old IRA instincts cause him to have sympathy for the Maki, and he wants to argue about it with Eddington and Worf. Yeah, this didn't really come up, but it is the case. It's wild that, that he loudly announces his sympathy for the Maki <laughs> on the bridge of the ship. <laughs> he must not know they're fugitives, I guess. Uh, Quark fucking with Garrick's mind is funny. Yeah, again, when he's in the tailor shop. He th- he's initially comforted by Kira's visit, but then Quark fucking mind tricks him into being scared again. Yeah. He says the actor is playing Garrick gay, but I'm not sure if Garrick himself is supposed to be gay in-universe. Maybe we've been unclear about that when we've talked about it in the past. That's very much like an actor's secret. Like Yeah, that is his actor's secret. That is how sure. he is playing Garrick to get to like motivate himself to do cool stuff in the scenes. I don't think on screen Garrick is supposed to be gay because I don't think anyone on Star Trek was supposed to be gay until Discovery. Um, I think you're probably right. And then he says Eddington doesn't seem well motivated either. Yeah, which we talked about. Uh, I am almost there, actually. I gave it a seven. So Cisco is still shacking up with Cassidy. He's very bad at asking her about her flight plans and shit. He just won't let this is Dreon seven near the Badlands thing go. <laughs> yeah, it's not. He's not cool about it at all. She is so much cooler about it, even though she must know she's being grilled for a reason. Cisco <laughs> uh, also doesn't handle this conversation with Jake well, because it's one more person who's going to be hurt if she turns out to be a traitor. He almost compromises the whole mission to try and save Cassidy. And then I, this is where I have written, Riker would never recover from this episode. If this oh, is no. the stuff that happened to him, if Troy turned out to be a smuggler and then, like, someone stole a bunch of shit from him while Picard was at a conference or something. Yeah, this would be Riker's <laughs> worst day for sure. Yeah. So we'll see what Cisco does. Odo, I love the first scene where Odo really does not want to tell Cisco he thinks Cassidy is a smuggler. Yeah. Like, even Justice Odo was like, fuck. <sighs> okay oh i got bad news oh boy (laughs) i really don't want to do this 
Uh, Jake is still a writer. Um, uh huh. He's writing about what he doesn't know, so he's really on track to be a 19 year old writer <laughs> after his auto autobiography idea. Well, it's about a guy whose mom dies. I mean, it's not about that. <laughs> uh, he's become close to Cassidy, probably because he needs a new mom again. And now he also talks sex talk to his dad. Woof. Yeah. Worf and O'Brien spar a bit about the Maquis. Worf says they're terrorists and criminals, and criminals always make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Except this episode. All the ones he's ever caught have made mistakes. <laughs> yes. Uh, O'Brien hates the Cardis, and so he likes the Maquis, is what I have. <clears throat> um, Eddington pulls the best fucking anti-Starfleet operation in Trek so far. Uh, he plays such a by-the-book security statue to hide that he's a fucking radical separatist and nobody even suspects. Again, that made me wonder when the writers figured out they wanted to do this with him. Um, but again, his motivations in the end are a little bit off. Uh, Zial is looking for, like, a familiar face or a friend or somebody who understands her. Uh, Garrick... I have here Garrick's at least a little afraid he'll get stabbed or shot by Zial, but he does need to get it in every once in a while. <laughs> to what it seems like. Dax tried really hard to defuse the whole Cassidy situation in the briefing, and Cisco does not appreciate it. Yep. And neither would I. <laughs> no. Because when she was doing that, I was like, oh, fuck you. And she's like, it seems like she's only transporting food and medicine. So that's like, good. Shit, Dax. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's really good. It's really hey, good. Dax. She's still going to jail, buddy. This ain't helping. Yeah, no, You're not helping. You're right. Let's retcon it so it's really good that she's a smuggler. You got it. You go talk to O'Brien, you fucking monkey sympathizer. <laughs> we don't see much from Cassidy's point of view. We get some hints from the actress about what Cassidy is doing. Like, we see her realize a couple of times that she's in trouble, but she just keeps going. And we do get in the end that she has a genuine affection for Cisco. And that isn't necessarily a part of her deception. Um, so clear motivations from Cassidy. Edding, like, uh, sorry, I was saying clear motivations from Cassidy and Eddington would have helped, but the rest of it's actually pretty good and plenty is attempted. I gave it a seven. Uh, I'm a little lower. I was a five. Okay. I think most of the Cisco work is pretty good. Uh, if you give him a little bit of credit that he's doing TV emotions and they have to be a little more transparent because his warning to Cassidy is not subtle. No. Jake has to pretend Cisco is to just go. Jake has to let Cisco off the hook in that very weird conversation they have. And that's all for TV. This is, Im- this is what's important. You and me, you and me. And We're never gonna change. Jake, I think, starts looking around the Dad, room for you, like a half-constructed Dad, did clock. Did you kill Cassidy? <laughs> what? Dad, did you murder somebody? Dad, we can tell Odo; he'll understand. Do we need to go on the run? Dad, are we taking the Solar Sailor and going to Cardassia? <laughs> it was, yes. Yeah, so it is played a little bit much. Yeah, but it's the only thing that uh, Avery Brooks ever gets up for is stuff with Jake. So. Uh, yeah, I think Cassidy Yates is fine too. Uh, we've only seen her in a bunch of little roles, but we already knew that she was from a different kind of Federation than Cisco. Yeah. Like her ship is slow. It doesn't have great equipment and stuff like that. And also that her brother's out on a frontier world somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
So the idea that she might have Maki sympathies doesn't seem, like, impossible. It's just, it's not a slow burn, like you said. No, and at no point in this episode does she say, here's why I'm a Maki or anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's not the case with Eddington. Um, We knew that he wasn't Cisco's man before, but he was a rigid Starfleet goon right up until his big speech about how the Federation are like the Borg. (laughs) Where's that come from? And uh, O'Brien talking politics on the Defiant, he must want another bar fight. Uh, I didn't even talk about Garrick uh, because I didn't, for most of the episode, I didn't understand like, if it's not romantic, don't have Quark say it's a date because he's a man and she's a woman. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Kira also is in this episode to play racquetball, <laughs> put hands on Garrick, and get stunned. It's true. So, that's rough. <laughs> hey, that's the most she's been on an episode in a long time. <laughs> uh, it is kind of the case, huh? She's not getting a lot of screen time. And it was this week it wasn't even because of Worf. I mean, like, Worf's barely in this one. Like I said, it's going to be a five from me. Okay. Um quick ones i have a few just a few quick hitters uh don't sniff that triangle that's gross cisco's not smooth of course smiley has maki sympathies oh uh when they schedule something for 2100 Mm. do you think that's 9 p.m like it would be here or because it's a 26 hour day is it like 8 p.m and noon is 1300 hours (laughs) i think that has to be it right wouldn't noon be 13 i mean you would think so but like i don't know Maybe they, maybe just, they really like. Maybe people really got used to twenty one hundred being nine o'clock. So they, the, they just tack two on at the end. So it's like yeah, noon exactly. is still twelve, but then yeah, yeah, but midnight is fourteen. <laughs> you go up to uh, it's to twelve twelve p.m. and thirteen p.m. and then you get to fourteen, which is well, p.m. which is which would zero which is a.m. zero hundred hours. Yeah, <laughs> fourteen a.m. Uh, and then, like you said, Jake dates one Dabo girl, and now he thinks he gets to talk sex with his old man. Yeah, I didn't like that. It's not great. Uh, best actor, actor this week is Cisco. Worst actor, Lieutenant Reese. <laughs> yep. They gave that guy a name in 15 lines, and uh, most of the lines we ain't were see about him again. how he was not prepared for this. That's right. Uh, by which he meant having to read lines. <laughs> yes. I love how they bring him in. So, they bring him in in the end to arrest Cassidy, and he's got a big bruise on his face. Yep. And it's like, what happened to him? <laughs> Was there a scene where he got hurt? Because I don't think he just gets. I don't left think there are ops. any deleted scenes for this one, but they did not explain. <laughs> he's just left it. They just said like he said, "Go to ops," and then he left. I, and then we. See I think him we have to presume that Kira caught up with him I think at so. some point. But that must, they couldn't just put that there for no reason. There must be something that ended up on the cutting room floor or something uh and uh ben's quick hitter what's that hideous green glop that cisco's making i thought his specialties were all normal human foods Mm. in some ways you're even worse than the borg eddington cuts deep Uh, it's true yeah the borg killed his wife so he must know that that one is personal yeah 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 my uh my only quick hitter was cisco orders odo to step up random security checks it's like stopping people and frisking them and stuff. And then says, you can't just surveil a Federation citizen when they're talking about Cassidy. <laughs> yep. Like one line later. It's like, hey, hey, man. Hey, oh, 14 seconds ago, you told me to do this to everyone just passing randomly on the station or in space or whatever. Now I want to do it to your girlfriend and you just think it's fucking not 
legit. Anyway. All right, we did two of them. All right, well, hey, listen, so far both episodes this week have scored higher than last week's winner, so <laughs> we're off to a great start. Last week was so bad. Second place last week was TNG. Okay. Uh, this week we watched The Nth Degree. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I like you saying sorry for not including that. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, uh, Beverly and Barkley are doing Cyrano de Bergerac on stage in front of the whole fucking staff, and it's real Bush League. Yes. Everyone's polite about it. Once they convince Data to be polite about it, he doesn't understand why. Uh, he's also got a bug up his butt about method acting still. Yeah, and he's got the biggest fucking stink face you've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. He's not cool about it at all. He's not. <laughs> Counselor Troy thinks Barkley's come a long way since we last saw him, but uh, he's not so sure. He thinks that he's just playing a character, and he hasn't really gained. It doesn't matter. Enterprise <laughs> is checking on a subspace telescope called the Argus Array at the edge of Federation space, which has stopped transmitting like a few months ago, because I guess it really is at the edge of Federation space. Yeah. And when they get there, they find a probe hovering over it. Jordy and Barkley go out to have a look in a shuttle. They scan it with a positron emission, and it zaps them, knocking Barkley out. Uh, it starts moving towards Enterprise. Barkley's back in sick bay. He seems physically okay, but he starts spouting off about adjustments that can be made to Beverly's scanners. Anyway, it's red alert because of the probe, so no one pays much attention to that. Yeah, dude. Uh, this probe is serious business we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise can't outrun it for reasons that they don't understand, and so we don't get to understand. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't blink at their phasers, even when Jordy and Barkley hot them up for Riker. Yeah. Uh, the probe's energy field is going to knock out Enterprise's shields, but Barkley starts transferring warp power to the shields so that Picard can use the photon torpedoes, and those do the trick. Uh, I guess this thing was only good against energy, and uh, just regular explosions work real good on it. Yeah. Enterprise goes back to the telescope to make repairs. Barkley gets called up to the big show in the briefing room, steps on Jordy's toes by suggesting that he could program a new control system for the array in a couple of days. No big deal. He's a real doucher in that, too. He's uh -huh. he's like, if we do it as Commander LaForge suggests, it'll take weeks or whatever. <laughs> right. <It's> like, Damn. <laughs> But if uh, a smarter person was around. <laughs> yeah, someone who like, knew what they, they were smart. doing a little bit. Right, yeah. Uh, Troy gets a creepy feeling from him. Maybe because she knows he's going off to play practice to make Beverly cry. Or because she can sense he's going to ask her on a date later in 10 forward. Yeah. Uh, but one thing hasn't changed. Reg is late for work because he's playing in the holodeck. It's just Einstein this time instead of the goddess of empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jordy straight up asks him if he got probed, <laughs> and he's defensive about it because he likes the new overbearing Reg he's become. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Beverly finds out that his brain is all sloshy with chemicals, and he's like a supercomputer. He thinks his IQ is 1,200. Mm. They have a big what-to-do-about-Barkley conference. Riker wants him locked up, <laughs> but since he hasn't done any cool crimes and they need the array fixed, they decide to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the array reactors begins overloading. They don't seem to be able to interact with it fast enough to prevent it. 
uh, somehow. This time it's a bandwidth problem or something. Right. Uh, Barkley runs off to find a better interface, of course, in the holodeck. Uh, meanwhile, the array is about to explode when Enterprise suddenly loses helm control. But then it doesn't explode. And Picard asks the computer for an explanation, and Barclay answers. Yeah. It turns out he has lasers going into his brain, <laughs> and he's the computer now. You know, remember that episode, Spock's Brain? When Spock's Brain uh-huh. became the computer for that civilization? Uh-huh. <laughs> they thought we needed another round. It is Spock's Brain Part 2, yeah. yeah. Uh, everyone goes on down to the holodeck to talk to him. He explains that much of his brain is now in the computer, and he can't remove himself without dying. Yeah. Jordy turns off all the mics in the observation lounge so they can have a secret meeting, and then he goes to work trying to get direct control of engineering, all the while chatting with Barkley 2001 style, and he's really turned into a prime know-it-all. Mm. He's figured out the equation to the universe and the speed beyond warp speed, and before Jordy can do dick, a subspace distortion appears in front of the ship, created by Barkley, and he won't answer orders to stop. Yeah. Troy goes down to try to talk him down from this ledge he's on, but it's like, what if he wasn't just shy? What if he sucks? Because he tells her that she's a dumb baby, and he reroutes around Jordy's hack, and he takes the Enterprise right into his distortion, and he uses force fields to thwart Worf, and everything gets swirly and cutsceney, and then the ship is in weird space, 30,000 light years away in the center of the galaxy. Hmm. All computer systems are back to normal, but a big floating head appears and starts saying dumb stuff like cranial plate, bipedal locomotion. <laughs> a shaky Barkley appears on the bridge and tells them that the Cytherians have reintegrated him. Great. They reprogrammed him to make contact. I, they are explorers from opposite world. How come Riker or somebody didn't go? Great. <laughs> Someone should have. Good stuff. Uh, they want to make first contact. Uh, this is their method. We don't see any of the actual first contact or exchange of knowledge. We just slam cut to 10 days later. Enterprise is back in Federation space with a whole lot of boring knowledge for scholars to pour over. <laughs> he basically says boring. It's true. And Reg is back to normal, more or less. Troy tells him that everyone has a peak and the trick is to go on living afterwards. As a reward for not killing everyone, she goes for a walk with him in the Arboretum, but it is strictly hands above the waist, the end. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right. I got something for this. Oh, let's have it, please. Everybody needs a punching bag. (laughs) Is the consequence of Barkley becoming a genius that people hate him? Maybe (laughs) just that Jordy hates him? (laughs) otherwise i don't know what this episode is saying i mean obviously there's the stuff about him taking over the enterprise but i think we're supposed to be much more upset about jordy's hurt feelings (laughs) this is a mean-spirited take but i couldn't figure it was basically they're saying every group has one every group has a, a tp this week in voyager but like just someone that everyone feels better shitting on it makes everyone feel better about themselves and it brings balance to the whole group to have us to have a real fucking sukjin on the team. And they were real mad when Barkley was smarter than them and better than them because they're used to crapping all over him. So, uh, just a two for me. I don't know. Maybe you found an actual take on this one. Uh, Ben says it's we can achieve beyond what we see as our own limits. 
Well, if but I guess alien... that's only true if an alien <laughs> gets in your brain. Yeah, I mean, if an, if an alien reprograms you with a magic probe, I guess. Uh, the intelligence does not equal morality. The smarter Barkley gets, the more paternalistic he becomes until he ultimately views the rest of the crew as children. Mm. Uh, it's the same take as in the source material, by the way. Uh, flowers for Algernon. This I was... is obviously Flowers for Algernon. You guys all know that one. At one point, I did, I did look over at Marjorie and say, oh, they're doing a Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> That's what it is. Right? It doesn't make you a better person just if you if you become smart. Then you don't get more friends because you become smart. Right. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. Does anyone think that smarter people are inherently better people? God, I mean... I was going to say the writers, but this is their episode, so clearly they don't think so. Well, definitely they don't. Well, they're so anti-science. That's it's true. Yeah. Ridiculous. Also, what is the real-world equivalent of suddenly becoming smart without living experiences and coming to terms with, with the world at the same time? I don't like, know. Like, what, what is this? What's this a fear about? Finding a, a talent you didn't know you had, I guess. Like... I don't know what that is, but like trying something and being really good at it. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, but it's like, I don't know. Anyway, it wasn't a lot for me. I gave it a three. Okay. Um, uh, and you said Ben was a five on that. What about, uh, there's a five in execution too. Yeah. Uh, he says, this is his least favorite medium to take in Cyrano. (laughs) He says after the shenanigans, they caught Barkley up to, uh, in the holodeck before, why are they feeding into his tenuous grip on reality by having him play a part? <laughs> Especially this part, which is Barkley. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He says it feels very old school TOS, and you already compared it to Spock's brain. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking flowers for Algernon. And also, can you imagine doing a one of the characters is in a play opening scene in a TNG episode that doesn't tie in directly with the message of the show? Hey, yeah. It's fucking wild. Picard should be explaining to Data all about Scrooge's motivations or something. Yep. Instead, this one is just, hey, remember Barkley? Well, he's still there. <laughs> he's still around doing Cyrano now for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, the idea of these weird Scytherians is neat, except that they're also basically the Paxans and the Prophets and Q and the Twins from Allegiance and all the other creeps in the galaxy. Yep, just all them fuckers. It's like it would be weird if we didn't visit one of these races. Yeah. Uh, it rips off 2001. It obviously gives us a little Cyrano de Bergerac for no good reason. Yeah, it's just like kind of said, a lesser, lesser work here. Nothing about that Cyrano, like, matters. Nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't come the scene that he's doing does not it does not make any difference. It doesn't have anything to do with this episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, is it that in the scene he's talking about how fucking cool he is and everything, but will this lady give a crap about him when he's gone or something? Is that maybe supposed to have to do with Barkley after after Smart Barkley goes away? Listen, Troy gives him that speech about how everyone peaks and you got to fucking deal with it afterwards. <laughs> and it's like, I guess that could be the message of the episode if it wasn't in literally the last scene. Yeah. Uh, if we saw any of that, if it was about that in any way. I was, uh, I was spitballing, trying to save yeah. him. No, I agree. Uh, this, again, like I said, it's just this is just a lesser work of TNG. I gave it a three. Uh, let's see. Once I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, so we're supposed to root for them to keep bullying Barkley and mocking him Uh behind his back. That kind of sucks. 
Uh, then when he's normal again, yeah, we're definitely all the times they fucking Jordy's like, all right, I'd cut off all the cameras and microphones so he can't hear us gossip about him. <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to be like on that side. Then when he's normal again in the end, everyone's real happy, but he's not. Yes, he knows no, he's he's miserable, and fucking Troy's gonna make it all better by going on a date with him. Yeah, he knows he's a shy weirdo. Like he knows he's shy Ronnie again. Yeah. Their wish to have Barkley back, the Barkley that they know, should be about saving Enterprise, but I could tell immediately it was really about them not liking that they lost this dude that they could cap on all day. <laughs> and that's a shame. I have here, what if Sukjin was suddenly cool? You know who would hate that? Jay Sook and Jungkook. Yeah, those two would hate it the most. Maybe Seichan too. He seems to think he's pretty great. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I thought the whole episode was very mean-spirited. Um, then I wrote, it's a rookie of the year situation. (laughs) (laughs) He had an accident that made him super, super smart or whatever. Uh, the music that they play over the very dumb and boring probe chase sequence was (laughs) straight out of the Borg episode, and it did not match. Do you remember when Enterprise was fucking booking it and they hit like warp 9.8 and the board were keeping up? And it was, <laughs> it was like, anyway, tense. It was fucking tense out there. Uh, this one, the probe was kind of slowly chasing them. And also it's just a probe and they just blew it up in a minute anyway. Yep. Um, but yeah, straight Borg music the whole time. Uh, only my joy watching Jonathan Frakes. This, by the way, this episode was not about Riker, but there are so many good Riker scenes in it. Okay. Um, and the general competence of the others made this even remotely watchable. This could be a Voyager episode otherwise. Seriously, imagine how much we would hate the episode Harry Kim gets scanned by an alien probe and becomes super smart and confident. And takes over the ship. And then obviously takes over the ship with his brain computer. Like, what a bad job they would do with that. It is true that they spend a lot of time before he takes over. They're already hating the fact that he like is teaching violin classes. They're just and... so mad. <laughs> By the way, Marshawn Ju- pointed out it is more the men than the women. Yes. I think the writers wrote it so that the women were fucking into it. Well, sure. Because <laughs> these fucking ladies you can't trust. Women be trifling, you know? Um, I, I gave it a three because I enjoyed it that much. But like, it's not a good episode. No, I I agree. How about in terms of world building? Um, uh, let's see what I got. The Argus Array, the f- fear of being too close to a photon torpedo explosion. Oh, we've seen that a few times. Yeah. Only in TNG, I feel like. I think that's right. I don't think we've ever had a situation in one of the others where they're like, well, we're too close to use the explosives. I guess the probe makes people super geniuses because that's what it takes <clears throat> to go back and make contact with the Cytherians. And is that all the Cytherians want out of it? Just for Barkley to come home and say, what's up, Dad? Oh, well, he has to bring people or it doesn't count, I think. Because <laughs> when he gets there, they're fucking done with him. They immediately reintegrate him. The second they fucking <laughs> pop out of that wormhole, they're like, all right, enough of you. Even we don't like you. Yep. Let's talk to Picard now. Barkley builds a device to make his brain the ship's computer for whatever that's worth. Um, 
And then I didn't, I missed the part where they cut the mics. I was like, why can't Barkley hear their dumb meeting about disconnecting him from the computer? And on two occasions, Jordy makes it clear that he has cut the audio feed to the room they're in. Um, ben mentions the engineering jumpsuit in his world building, which he gave a three. Um, he said he liked it. But my point about the jumpsuit was, what's the point? <laughs> Isn't he already wearing a jumpsuit? Yes. And if it gets dirty, can he just put it in the replicator? Uh-huh, you would think so, yeah. I guess I don't understand the point of it making another one. the knees of his pants from getting dirty, but, like, you can, why? You can just put it in the replicator. Uh-huh. Why would you need a different jumpsuit? So There's, like, know. a weird replicator economy that we never see where he gets, like, he gets one replicator uniform <laughs> a day and one replicator casual clothes. Maybe. And one replicator pajamas every three days or something. I just, I look as soon as I saw him in it, even though I didn't know if he'd seen it before or how many times we'll see it again. But the instant I saw it this week, I went, well, that seems pointless. Is it not just the same <laughs> jumpsuit they put lore in? It looks like a lore style jumpsuit. Like It's like season one shit, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I, he's already wearing a jumpsuit. It seems fine. Um, he's just got to put his coveralls on to go down in there. So I gave it a two. I could see a one. Well, a one is what I have. It's a one! So, you know how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought the important points this week, big-ass space telescopes. Yeah. And the Cytherians. And they could not do more to tell us that the Cytherians don't matter. <laughs> Again, we get the cutaway ten days later. Like, hey, we just met these super smart dudes. We're not going to do an episode with them? No, it's that's it. Here's a captain's log that makes it clear that it wasn't important to us that we met them. And that this is something for nerds. Yeah, no one on the ship will ever care about this again. Um, Ben's a five on characterization. Okay. He says Frakes can't play it straight when he's going on a walk and talk with Barkley pretending to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy tells the exec team that Barkley made a good pass at her. Mm-hmm. Crusher's smiling and nodding her head like she's super proud. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he likes how Jordy and Troy are, are compassionate with Barkley and don't hold this against him at the end. Well, no, they got their punching bag back, as Matt would say. Yep, they are so yeah. fucking glad in the end. Uh, as far as characterization goes for me, boy, when something happens to one of the crew members Picard doesn't have a personal relationship with, he is not nearly so effective. <laughs> <laughs> He's just mildly annoyed this week while Jordy and Troy do all the legwork. It's true, the guy straight... If this was Riker or Data or Worf, there'd be a lot more Picard, huh? The guy straight takes over the ship. Picard does not care. Yeah. Uh, Riker gets put in his place with the shields, and then it's just... He's just sullen and brooding for 32 minutes. (laughs) Troy's, like, stalking all over the ship, following Barkley around with her mouth open instead of saying anything to anyone. And then she throws him a pity walk in the Arboretum. Yeah. And Jordy still can't figure out if he's Barkley's friend or Barkley's boss. I don't know why they thought we needed another Barkley episode, but uh, since he wasn't himself for 35 of the 42 minutes this week, it's hard to really consider him. Sure. Characterization-wise, I just gave it a three. Okay. Um, Is Worf in this one? uh, Only to read things off his display, I think. (laughs) Okay. I mean, he goes down with his security team but to try and arrest field, Barkley, eh? but he has another guy run and rush him. That's true. Well, he's learned his lesson. He gets beat up every week. So, <laughs> uh, Schultz may suck as a human being, but he's actually not bad at playing a nervous twit. No. Um, 
but he sucks butts at playing cool, smart Barkley. Yeah. Was the here's the thing, like when you see him in his chair and he's the ship's computer now and he's all acting all high and mighty, he's he still looks like that. <laughs> it's kinda hard. It's kinda hard to take seriously. Yeah. Uh Barkley's still very odd, but he's trying. Yeah. He's trying to be better. And again, he's very bummed out when he goes normal again, but everyone else is very happy. Data has no emotions, but he definitely knows to make the stink face for that entire performance <laughs> in the beginning. Just looking he's around. Like, fucking looking around like, are you seeing this? Can you believe this <laughs> he shit? He wants someone else to look at him with the same face, but no one will. <laughs> he's. It's like when we were watching episode nine. Yes, that was me the entire time. <laughs> Going, what the what the what what? I was avoiding your gaze in that because I knew we would ruin the whole thing for uh everyone for Marjon. <laughs> everyone in the fucking theater. Uh well seriously, the people four rows back must have heard me several times go, What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> um Oh, we're coming up on it. I know, it's true. We're not we're just not, two months. Not far off. Uh is this the beginning of Crusher forcing everybody to be in her dumb plays? Yep. She um she's got all the artistic hobbies. Dance, this uh uh I don't know. I guess it's just those two. Does she care at all about Data's poetry? Is the poetry for something uh, she's doing? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. We haven't seen him read poetry yet, have we? No. Um but she does not handle it well when Barkley tells her her business with that tricorder. <laughs> I think you'd better stick to engineering, Lieutenant. Whoa! <laughs> it's not even that serious. He just suggested you use the global mode on the scanner. Yeah. And then Beverly was somehow like moved to tears by that real average performance he gives. Uh huh. They couldn't get a good... yeah. It's another boy. It's they didn't get a good enough actor to do a performance good enough to make someone have this, tears. This is going to come up in our next episode this week, <laughs> but uh, it, there is a we do have to get told a bunch of stuff that a bunch of stuff is real good or amazing um he just like in that performance he just got a little bit shouty and then like his french wasn't even good no he was like a poor man's eddie redmayne (laughs) the way he got quiet and then a little shouty (laughs) uh troy knows that he has torqued around her so why does she wear that dress to his performance uh, <laughs> I mean, she can sense she got it. Got Hoshi syndrome. She can, she's, she can sense it with her mind. It's just uh, she's not going to let him win. <laughs> it's just fucked up that he even like even she uses him as a punching bag, but it's in this way. She's like, <laughs> I'm going to get him so hard, and then I'm just going to fucking leave. <laughs> um, but um, she is good at getting through to him. She uh. You know, she has some good conversations with him in this episode, and she avoids yakking all over the table when he hits on her in 10 forward, <laughs> which is big of her. She could have thrown up on that tiger electronic pyramid. <laughs> uh, let's see. Troy definitely brought up Barkley coming on to her to make Riker feel bad, and everyone in that room but Riker knew yep. why she did it. Jordy, um, Jordy's still being very nice to Barkley. Even when he, like, puts his finger in Jordy's face and tells him to yeah. fucking shut up while I do some fucking business, Jordy still lets that go. 
Maybe because he's normally such a squid that they just don't know how to react <laughs> when he starts to act like that. Um, Like, Jordan's like, if I yell at him now, we're just going to drive him back into his weird shell. <laughs> That's right. We're going to find him on the holodeck in a couple of days or whatever. Troy said this was good for him, so I got to not yell at him. Riker goes to Barkley and says, everyone is wondering how he did it. But he means, please tell me how you did it so I can say <laughs> so it I in the briefing. Yeah. I'm going to say it in the briefing later and everyone's going to think I'm smart. Then he says, if Barkley has been influenced by an alien, he needs to be confined to quarters. <laughs> Which made him sound like a real Trumper or something. Uh-huh. I enjoyed every... Well, he... He has to make sure Barkley's not there when he repeats what he can remember of what Barkley did. <laughs> I enjoyed every Frank's part of this episode. He was so baffling in it the whole time. Um, How about after that conference when he made a point to ask Troy whether the pass was successful or not? Uh -huh. and she just walked off. And then he gives the look like, uh, he's, boy, I really got my ass handed to me. <laughs> um... <laughs> I love Worf going for his phaser when the Scytherians show up. Yep, he's gonna blast that floating head. <laughs> his first impulse was to blast the giant head floating in front of Picard on the bridge. That's just like inquisitive. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't shoot huge Yoda, man. That ain't gonna work. <laughs> it's like, what did they teach him? What has he been trained to do at the academy or whatever? It's like, he's just gonna blast a hole in it. Uh, Starfleet security training seems to be mostly power walking <laughs> and then probably that phaser range where you shoot the blue and yellow dots. Yeah, it could be. Uh, just a four for me. Did we say what Ben gave it? Gave it a five? Uh, yeah, okay. it was a five. Uh, and his quick hitter... Jordy rolls up to his Monday morning meeting and finds out Barkley's in the holodeck. He doesn't even adjourn the meeting. He just fucking leaves to go chew him out. Everyone just went about their business. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, good. I didn't want to do this meeting anyway. Have you ever had that happen uh, where somebody has an excuse? Like, uh, so whoever's holding the meeting has an excuse why they can't keep up with it. And everyone is excited to cancel. Everyone's glad to have that fucking 15 minutes back or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's every meeting. Yes, basically. Uh, what are your quick hitters? <clears throat> Riker looks at the painfully obvious for about 10 seconds before he confidently stands up and says, looks like some kind of probe. <laughs> yep. Everyone is very polite and doesn't shit on him for it. <laughs> he stares at it forever. Not, not one person says, of course it's a probe, <laughs> but it's a rusky or something. It's like he stares at it for a long time and then he gets real confident. Like, he yeah. figured it out. He does the same when the phaser doesn't hurt the probe. At He'll... first I thought it was a big pill, but I think it's a probe. <laughs> when the phaser doesn't hurt the probe, he looks over. After they're done shooting, he looks over. Picard and goes, nothing. <laughs> no shit, man. He's so confident, though. He's really, he's sure he's doing good work on the bridge. Listen, this is his place by Picard's side on the bridge. <laughs> We've been told that repeatedly, and it's clear that he belongs here. This looks like some kind of probe. <laughs> I love him so much. I'm so glad he's in the show. Um, uh, Barkley's back up to his old tricks in the holodeck, except this time he's nailing Einstein. <laughs> yep. Marjan asked me if I liked Troy's jumpsuit, and I said that I did not. I saw her stand up in 10 forward, saw all the business happening with that outfit. 
and instinctively looked away. Yeah. Like, there isn't a person alive who would look good in that thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not her. Well it's not tailored. her fault. It's like, it looks bad. It's a bad outfit that makes everyone look, like, short and dumpy. <laughs> um, well, it's like, you definitely should not have a, an entire stretch garment that wraps under your boots because it is going to pull your crotch down and make <laughs> it seem like you have a super long torso and super short legs, for sure. Yep. When uh, Barkley takes over and they lose computer control, Riker gives a straight-up Darth Vader, What? (laughs) (laughs) When they learn they can't control anything. (laughs) So it was really good. Uh, I wanted Barkley to say the Scytherians are old white guys, of course. (laughs) Because he gives that pause where he's about to say what they are, and I thought, They're all white guys! Look at them! They put like a couple of little bumps on the guy. He was just an old white dude. Yeah, he's got uh he's got them little tiny he got a couple of little forehead bumps and that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's all my quick hitters. That's where I put all the good stuff that Riker did this week. Yeah. Um I got a few this set for this uh play has no wings, no nothing. It's also just one room. Yeah. I don't know. Does all of Cyrano de Bergerac take place in like, one kitchen? <laughs> pretty sure it doesn't. I'm pretty. I like. Okay. It's been a long time, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Well, I guess everyone, uh, which is probably just Beverly, just goes and stands on the side when her when she's not in the scene, huh? Well, I think they only did one scene. The scene ends and they all clap and then they get up and they congratulate him. Like that's not how Cyrano ends. Spoiler <laughs> alert, everybody! That's not how it ends. <laughs> the last five words in Cyrano de Bergerac are not, but but I. But I have done better since. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, he dies. I spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> uh, only the method counts, huh, Data? Yeah, he's real fucking elitist about that shit. Yeah. Do you think Beverly gets uh, teaching credits for this? Is that why she's oh, doing this it? Go, is this in her Starfleet record in some oh, way? Is this like... Like how it was noted in her record that she was a dancer? Uh-huh. Yeah. Is this like... Is this the reason that she's a commander and Troy's a lieutenant commander? Is it because she does shit like this on the side? God fucking <laughs> Troy just eats chocolate. <laughs> Could be. I still don't understand really what Troy's education is, too. I don't. Yeah, it does not us. seem like she went to Starfleet Academy for sure. Because when she was in college, she did a lot of experiments on Tam Elbrun. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> uh, this probe looks Ferengi as hell, but I guess they don't pay attention to livery in space. Because not not one person says, "Hey, it's that Ferengi orange, and it, the energy seems yellow." I think might be Ferengi. Is, is Damon Tog around? If this was season one, they would have mentioned it because they were always mentioning the Ferengi. Yeah, uh, Linda Larson. Oh, didn't say anything, but she's all over this one. She even has lines. They call her Lieutenant Larson. Oh, she's in engineering. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's stinking up the background of this one, Darian Wallace style. She was one of those people who got real excited when that fucking meeting adjourned. Or didn't adjourn. <laughs> yeah. Also, she got a Star Trek card of her own. Oh, I remember why. why I was thinking about She says that she went to Barclays Quarters, and I went, whoa. <laughs> hey. Maybe that was who he was having success with as new smart Barkley. Oh, yeah, maybe. As usual, not only did the dude get super smart, but he suddenly knows a bunch of stuff you definitely can't work out from first principles. <laughs> He's a genius, don't you understand? Uh-huh. 
Riker is insane. Does he want Barkley confined to his quarters because he said a smart thing about the shields and made Riker feel dumb? Could be. He's been influenced by an alien. What does that mean? Yeah. Of course this creeper is keeping tabs on everybody. Why aren't you in your quarters, Jordy? Mm. It's nine o'clock. Why aren't you in the shower? I thought you'd be in the shower by now. Look, I understand why you're not on a date, but like, <laughs> why aren't you in your quarters? Uh, this dipshit writer's room makes Troy take Barkley on a date as some kind of incentive or reward, despite the fact that she's his therapist. Yeah. And in the episode, she says she can't date him because she's his therapist. Yeah, well, she changed her mind. Yeah. Uh, fun production fact this week. They simulated the lasers going into Barkley's head by firing lasers at his head. That's why he hosts a right-wing talk show now. <laughs> yep, that could be. Is he under the influence of an alien in real life? Maybe <laughs> we should have him burns in his brain. Maybe we should have him locked up. <laughs> I think we should. I gave best actor to Jordy all bummed out about Reg turning into king asshole. Mm-hmm. And uh, worst actor to the whole wormhole sequence. Oh. Did you notice what big stars real estate agents have become lately? <laughs> I did say to Marjan that it was much less well done than it was in the motion picture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <coughs> what a treat. Still one more. Yeah. Arguably the best of the bunch, right? Uh, yeah, I would think so, and probably definitely the best sexual politics of any of these episodes, so. Uh, good news, everybody. The winner last week was Enterprise. This week we watched Bound. I, I trust that you will edit it so that that harmonization syncs up because, sure. of course, from my side, it did not. We always have it synced. It's synced. <laughs> I don't just edit them all and have my stuff like a second off. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> Though, actually, I did listen to one earlier where I was maybe it was maybe a fraction <laughs> off. He didn't quite get there. It made it sound like I was jumping in very early. Like I was a real interrupting <laughs> fuck. Oh... Enterprise is en route to a proposed starbase site, and the planet seems great, though maybe there are dragons, but an Orion ship is on an intercept course, and the captain, Harad Sar, th threatens to open fire unless Enterprise deactivates its weapon systems, but then Archer talks him into deactivating his weapon systems as well. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, they then agree. He then agrees to go aboard to discuss uh, this guy's proposal for smoothing relations with the Orion Syndicate. Hmm. So Archer and Reed and a couple of Makos beam over. Meanwhile, the new engineer Kelby and Trip buttheads. Uh, Tapal also wants to know if Trip has been daydreaming about her. Yeah, just asks. But he's a little shit about it, so she just walks away without explaining further. So you know. He doesn't know what's happening for the rest of the week. So you mean the Yuge? Yeah, the Yuge. Mm -hmm. uh, Harad Sar struts around talking about his piracy. Then he has some girls brought in to dance for them, and uh, whoops, they're hypnotized by this mildly erotic dancing. My, extremely Back. mild. This shit would be okay to show on one of the broadcast shows in Korea. Uh, that is, yeah, basically. There's no Hyana, okay? <laughs> Back on Enterprise... 
Archer tells Teepole that the proposal is to mine magnesite together, uh, enough to build a thousand warp cores. Nice. And also to explain to Teepole that he agreed to take the three dancers as a gift. He took three persons, sentient persons. It's fine, though. From this guy as a gift. I think it's fine. And just gave him quarters on the ship. <laughs> Reed gives him a tour. Uh, it's all standing too close and sinister music. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise heads to Planet Magnesite as uh, T-Ball tells Archer that the crew's having a real hard time with these Orion ladies aboard. And also that the three women still seem to think they belong to Archer and he's going to need to go set them straight. Uh, Mayweather and Reed have some locker room talk in the gym. Mm. Poor Travis talks about how weight training with his dad got him through an encounter with some Deltons. His dad just wanted him to not masturbate too much. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Again, everybody lean on your own experiences, whatever the sex talk was to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Kelby gives one of the women a tour of the engine room. Oh, she has a headache and a very disheveled flocks mentions that Ensign Keeley, uh, another lady, was uh, here with a similar complaint. He's not doing that great. He collapses. His, something's wrong with his sleep cycle. It's because those fucking birds. Bro, these birds. <laughs> they chirp all night. <laughs> they chirp at 10 p.m. They chirp at like 1 a.m. They chirp at 3 a.m. They chirp all night. They're supposed to be smarter than that, right? I don't understand what they're chirping for. It's dark. Sorry. Uh, Trip pulls Kelby aside to ask him why he's giving a tour of a sensitive area. Kelby refuses to send uh, this lady away. Her name is Dinesh. It doesn't really matter. Okay. Trip orders him confined to his quarters. Archer goes to talk to their leader, Navar, about her sisters and how there's no slavery on Earth, how certain areas of the ship are off limits. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She starts kissing him, and he really has to focus up to answer a call from T'Pol. Yeah. Uh, he returns to the bridge, shaky and hoarse, and when an unknown ship starts firing very ineffectually on Enterprise, he gives the unexpected order to fire on them. No one wants to blow up this little science ship. In fact, Reed refuses to fire, and the ship retreats, so Archer's definitely not himself. Yeah. Dinesh goes to Kelby's quarters, listens to him complain about Trip, tells him she only likes men who take what they want, encourages him to mutiny. Kelby goes to engineering and starts doing something. Maybe he was going to blow up the whole ship, but it's not clearly explained. And then he and Trip get into a fist fight. Luckily, Trip's been in about 50 of these and he wins, but the ship is crippled by whatever Kelby did to the EPS junction. Flox tells Trip and Archer that a highly potent pheromone is driving everyone crazy, men and women. The only people not affected are Trip and T-Paul, and no one knows why. I know why. But the longer the exposure goes on, the worse it's getting for everyone. Archer has the ladies locked up in decon. Uh, and then he reveals that he found a communication device in their quarters and they've been in contact with Harad Sar. He thinks the ship is going to be attacked. Navar almost manages to convince him to release her. Um, Archer sends Teeple down to engineering to help repair the engines, where she finds Trip having his hands full breaking up fights. She floats her theory to Trip that... <sighs> that during sex trip got a psychic bond with her and that's why he's immune 
because she's immune because she's a Vulcan and because they're psychically bonded and having the same daydreams, which Trip now reveals he is also having. Yeah. Means that they got a they did a mating bond and they're bonded. And that's why these Orion ladies don't do it for him no more. Sure. Why not? Harad Sar rolls up. Uh, he reveals that Archer has a syndicate bounty on his head that he's here to collect. The ships start exchanging fire. Enterprise is basically crippled. Harad Sar takes the ship in tow. Enterprise doesn't have enough thruster power to break free. Break free. Uh, at this point, Harad Sar reveals that it's actually the Orion men who were slaves. Unless he's being poetic, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, T-Pole returns to the bridge, rigs up the deflector to fire a positron burst through the tow line. But the Orion women show up there because they just sexed their way out of decon. Archer turns and has orders T-Pole to be put in the brig. But at this point, Trip shows up and he just stuns all the dudes on the bridge. Yeah. Uh, and then all three women turn on him, but thanks to the power of love, yeah. he resists and just gives them back to Harad Sar, <laughs> who limps away. Flox uh, tells everyone that the after effects of the pheromone will be around for a few days. Uh, T-Pole makes some very light jokes and seems to make her think that maybe the bond is going both ways anyway trip makes t-paul admit that she personally wants him to come back to enterprise she gives him a big kiss and then he tells her that he requested a transfer three days ago so he's a creep yep matthew what's this one about <sighs> uh love protects one like a magic cloak is what i is what i wrote cool it's uh, a one but i could see a zero <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no, you said the magic words. <laughs> ben gave it a one as well with, don't blame us guys for being gross assholes. It's what you women like. I mean, really, what else? It's basically equal to a lesser TOS episode. Right, yeah. This is one where Ben and I agree. Uh, the take of this episode clearly is female sexuality is dangerous and has to be restrained. Uh, Star Trek got red-pilled, and I hate it. <laughs> I gave it a zero, and that because you said I the do. magic words, that means you gave it a zero. Zero! Uh, hmm. Look, I don't know if the reveal at the end was supposed to be empowering. Hmm. I also don't know if it makes any sense, given what we've seen of Orion's previously. No. But you can't, uh, you can't say that you did a female empowerment story if you don't give any of the women actual characters. <laughs> And these three ladies have less characterization than the Ninja Turtles theme song. <laughs> oh, way, oh Navar, God, way less. Navar leads and Dinesh and the other one exist. <laughs> but the third one? The third one doesn't. <laughs> the third one doesn't exist. The third one doesn't even get a line. Doesn't get a line. Doesn't have a name. Maybe. It's maybe she has one. I don't think crazy. anyone says it. Doesn't interact with any of the crew. I didn't understand why they made three of them. Yeah, they thought they needed three. Only two were in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also just no fun to watch all of our male characters walk around like drones because men cannot help themselves around women. That's right. I mean, pheromones. Women really have all the power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it is exactly that regressive idea that uh, because because women have the power of sex, <laughs> they really are calling the shots, and so it's okay if men run everything. Yeah, and also it's okay if they uh, act badly in sex because the woman it was the woman's fault. 
And That's he couldn't right. control himself. That's why he yep. arred her or fucked a young woman like, who was too uh-huh. young or whatever. It's uh, it's basically the song Don't Stand So Close to Me. Yeah, it's a trash episode. <laughs> and then there's also that song. <laughs> a couple of other thoughts. The encounter with that little helpless spaceship turns out to just be a total coincidence. Yeah, why did... Have no, <laughs> why was it just No there? bearing on anything except to show you that Archer's lost control. And why did it attack them? Yeah. I guess... It- also, why is it the Nausicaan Raider from season one? <laughs> Who knows? I think it just wanted the Magnusite. I think they were there for the Magnusite? I think probably. Uh, Even the trip to Paul stuff is a little yucky with the reveal that he'd already decided to come back and he was just sort of blackmailing her. (laughs) He's always been gross. Yeah. So, I gave it a zero for execution, too. (laughs) I think it was a deplorable episode. It was not good at all. Ben uh, gave it as much as a three- uh the orion women are like poison ivy i don't know anything about batman (laughs) the batman universe but it's okay i assume that comic books are that bad for sure um he says what is their objective it didn't seem coherent um he's called them proto incel writers at their finest so yeah um i was a one i wrote well geez star trek what am i supposed to do with this I didn't want to see any of it, and I hated all of it. And I, now I want to give it a zero. Well, you can. I'm asking permission for a zero. I've changed it to a zero for you. Because okay. <clears throat> well, I didn't, I didn't even have do, any other notes. Doing anything, they're not doing anything ironic. They're not winking. It's not. It's just, hey, remember how there were Orion slave women in TOS <laughs> yeah. in the 60s? What if we did a whole fucking episode about it and no one could keep their cool except Trip because he's in he's a relationship? Because he's in love, bro, and it protects one uh, like a magic cloak. You can't be can't be fooled when you're in love. We all know. It's real ass. Um, this is the closest I've come to quitting on this project. <laughs> you did sure. ask me eleven minutes into the episode if this was finally if it was okay to quit now. Yeah. Um, world building. Oh, uh, world building. Uh, I guess they're they're doing some stuff. We're gonna we're gonna build some star bases somewhere yep. out there. So they're looking for places to do that. <clears throat> uh this old boy looked like a green Borg. <laughs> yes, he really did. Do the Orions always have computers on their head? Did Show have a bunch of stuff on his head I, when he was the last Orion man we saw? I don't remember Big Show having a computer on his head. <laughs> Me either. Um. <laughs> Anyway, they have a bounty on Archer, I guess. These uh, Orion syndicates. Orion women have sexy mind powers. Mind control powers. And it's just chemical. All the unaffected ladies get headaches. So. And then I guess the. They don't. Hey, they don't just get headaches. They get competitive. (laughs) Flock says it. Oh, no. Flock says that they get competitive. Uh, and then I guess the women control them or don't, and all the stuff about selling them to aliens as a way to exert their influence, maybe? Yeah. That seems dumb, and it's yet another fact that would be known in the times of Archer, but forgotten in the times of Kirk. Yeah. none of that stuff happens. No. I'm not even sure what Trip did to blow up that dude's engines and weapons. He did something. Uh, T-Pol sent a positron burst up the tow cable. From the deflector. Maybe the first time the deflector has been used as a weird weapon. I don't know. It's a one for me. Because I, I, I hate what they did. 
Ben's a three. Okay. Um, he likes the novel Orion ship design, and that they just this guy just tells him he's got to shoot at him and so on. Um, and I guess I'm in the middle of you two. The Orion stuff, I don't quite know what to make of. Yeah. They're, they don't appear they don't appear at all in TNG. We haven't seen them yet in Deep Space Nine, the Orion Syndicate, but we, I think they will show up. We will see the Orion Syndicate, but I swear to God, we don't see any Orions. Maybe not, huh? I think we just see human-looking dudes. <clears throat> um, and in, in TOS, there's like three Orion women, and they are just uh, background sex objects. Mm-hmm. They're not like... Yeah, they're like the whores from that whore planet. Yeah. <laughs> they're about, they're <laughs> about that important. You remember the whore planet? The one where they had to take Scotty because he hated women. That was a whore planet, wasn't it? Because a woman made an accident happen and he it hit his head. It was going to fix him because he hit his head because a woman made him hit his head. Yeah. And then in the end, after everything settled, after they find out that it wasn't Scotty at all, but Jack the Ripper? Yeah. <laughs> um, then they just go back down to the planet to enjoy more whores. Matt's discussing the episode Wolf in the Fall, <laughs> where that where the planetary administer, administrator that has no power and he just has to do whatever Starfleet says. <laughs> he bends over backward for Kirk the whole time, so it'll go down in the official record, even though it's impossible that it was Jack the Ripper, <laughs> was Jack the Ripper. floating around from planet to planet, killing people, and not Scotty. Definitely the murderer, Scotty, who was in the room with the victim in every single occurrence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Yeah, Starfleet is beginning a starbase building program. Uh, Magnusite is needed for warp cores. Got to get that. And apparently from Archer's statement, it seems like he is in favor of a big warp core expansion program. Like he wants like to build it. a lot of ships, I guess. Yep. Uh, Vulcan mating bonds. I guess that's a thing that's possible. We know they're telepaths. Whatever. Yeah. I gave it as much as two. Okay. Characterization. And... Um, Ben's a three. DePaul's trying to make jokes and get into that funky Spock humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker loves the Enterprise like a woman, doesn't care about people. I'm not sure. I don't know. Who knows what's happening? No, yet. he's just fucking her over a little bit. He's just he's, trying to mess with her. He's just being a dipshit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess Archer doesn't love his ship as much as Kirk loves Enterprise because mm-hmm. he's susceptible to all of this. Yes, exactly. In my notes. You're reading my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I see your face up here in the thing. It says you're you're in my notes, but I didn't share with you. <laughs> So how did you get in? <laughs> um, Trip is probably a bad boss, but Kelby is definitely a bad employee. Kelby so. sucks. <laughs> Long Dude before sucks. he meets an uh, uh, Orion, he sucks. Uh, T'Pol is becoming more human, but instead of all of the good reasons for that, they imply that it's due to a horseshit Vulcan <laughs> mental bond we've never heard of. Yeah. I guess Hoshi is the jealous type, and Travis is a solemn adherent to No Nut November every year. <laughs> so works it's out. gonna be a three for me. Uh, like all the times when he was a teenager, whenever he got hard, he'd work out with his dad. What? He'd just go lift more weight. What are you talking about? Also, 15's too young to be aggressively weight training. You're gonna have lasting damage from that shit. Yeah, that's not good for your joints. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have almost all the same notes. Kelby seems like a baby. Uh, Trip seems like a baby. Luckily, we're definitely done with Kelby. Yes. He disappears in the middle of the episode after his sabotage attempt. Uh, nothing really seems to happen to make him come back and make up with T-Pole. It just, like, it just kind of happens, which is odd after slow playing it for two years. 
Yeah. T-Paul's a baby. <laughs> First about drip. Second about not getting to give Archer advice. She gets real butthurt about that. But T-Paul does a joke in the end. Whatever that means. Yeah. Lots of people... Like, hey, remember when Spock used to do that? That was cool. Yeah. It was cool when Spock did it. Uh, lots of people who are are not themselves this week, so that doesn't really help. And then I also said, Kirk wouldn't have been fooled like this. No. He just would have said, I will not kill over and over again until he was yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe none of this is real, but then still do a flying double <laughs> jump kick. <laughs> and it's true that every time he shouted in one of those episodes he wouldn't kill, he did follow that up with a judo chop of some kind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't say he wouldn't beat. No, he was good at fucking beating dudes' asses. Uh, just a two for me, man. This episode was rough. Uh, well, the score, the scores are rough for sure. <laughs> uh, Ben's quick hitter. Did Green Floozy number three get any lines? I did not detect. I nope. didn't remember any for sure. Uh, apparently, her name is Maras, but I don't. I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember that either. Said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my quick hitters. These girls have some real C grade choreography. <laughs> exactly. Um. And then again, why three Orion women if they were only going to give lines to two of them? So, what about you? Oh, I mean, just a few. First, I wrote these poor women. Um, <laughs> the women. Then, then I wrote just like when Star Trek has to tell us music or poetry is good, we have to be told how amazing this boring dancing is. <laughs> it was so cheesy. That was worse um, than some fucking nineties fucking Britney Spears. Or Christine Aguilera nonsense. That was yeah, hit me with your definitely. genie's bottle, is what that was. <laughs> Basically, uh, we made it somehow through the whole DS9 episode without mentioning that Zial had been recast. Oh, I think you meant you might have brought it up as a joke that I didn't bite on because I did not remember whether she'd already been recast. Well, because she does the original. The original Zial is Navar in this one. Oh shit! Yeah. So a few years later, a few years older, and this is the role that they gave her. Wow. Wait, so she was already, Zial was already recast? Because there's another actress coming. This, yes, this <laughs> Zial only appears in this episode. There's this three? is middle Zial, Zial 2, and she only appears in this one episode. I didn't know there were three Zials. I knew that uh-huh. she was eventually recast. I didn't realize this was different from the first one. Yeah, wow. this one was already a recast. All right. Um, and then I wrote, uh, pretty sure Kelby's a commander, not a lieutenant trip, but that's fine. And then I stopped writing down quick hitters. I gave best actor to T-Pole, worst actor to Reed playing along with Travis at the gym, pretending like he understood what was happening in that story. (laughs) It was real bad. Yeah. God, thank God that's over. Yeah, buddy, we got the scores. Um... Last place this week with eight points. It's Enterprise bound. It's a bad episode. Uh, let me let me just do a quick uh, resort here, and we'll just see if this is the worst Enterprise episode oh. so far. They've had a few, a few bad few ones, go. but they're not Voyager, so it's possible. You know, this is the worst one. Uh, Harbinger was a ten, and Carpenter Street and Precious Cargo were twelve, and Carbon Creek was fourteen. But uh, eight is a new low for them. Also, only two episodes have ever scored lower than an eight. That is Voyager's <laughs> Living Witness and Voyager's Waking Moments. Fucking Voyager. With a five and a three, respectively. Yeah. 
uh third place this week with 20 points tng the nth degree yeah it wasn't a good one did not sit well with us we gave it a 10 and a 10 i enjoyed it Uh, i liked watching it but it was bad yeah uh second place this week with 26 points which again would have won last week Mm -hmm. voyager with one i didn't enjoy watching that one even in a week when Two of the other shows really trip and fall on their, their own dicks. Uh, Voyager can't eke a win out. No, but I'm so excited that I watch them third next time. Yeah, that is true. You don't have to start with it. You right. get to start with In a Mirror Darkly Part ah, 1. son of a bitch! <laughs> That's not good! <laughs> and the winner this week uh, is uh, Deep Space Nine for the cost. Scored 39 points. Hey, 39 sounds that like is- a lot now. <laughs> below average for a winner but it was enough this week that's because the previous three weeks we didn't even have a single 30 point episode we did not we did not i was like 39 sounds like just a ton of points (laughs) (laughs) oh boy um next week of course is a mailbag week yeah we are off Uh, the clock we might get we might start talking about fruit it's a distinct possibility that we rank fruits mm. next week. That is so easy. I'm so excited. We don't have to prepare any clips. Oh, yeah. There's no prep for oh, that. Feels so good. Um, the, the week after that, we'll be back on this bullshit for week 93 of the Star Trek project. What are we watching? We are watching Cupid. No! I thought for sure that was way later. How could it be? <laughs> We're watching To the Death. I mean, I don't, I don't really, know what that is. I don't really remember that by the name. Voyager's season four finale, Hope and Fear. Well, so they're the first ones to move into season five, huh? Yeah, they were the first into season four, and they'll be the first into oh, season five. Oh, because they had that aborted first season, right? That's correct. And uh, In a Mirror Darkly, part one. God, no. We're running out the clock. There's this two-parter and then three more episodes of Enterprise, so... I really we wish they five. would run out the clock, which for me would mean five bottle episodes, and that's it. <laughs> they should just take a knee. Like, how good would that be? Those are their best episodes anyway. Don't attempt anything. Just take a knee over and over again until this thing's done. Yeah, well, instead, we're definitely going to get Enterprise's version of the Mirror Universe. So so good. Everyone get pumped for that in two weeks. Yeah, but like you said, next week at least is mailbag time. Uh, everybody, fill up the mailbag. Uh, that's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can send us email, brothersofbrotherdate.com. Go to brotherdate.com and check out our big boy, Landrew. Grows every day. Yeah, go ahead and torture your browser with Landrew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Sound... Nope. Face. No. But hey. Isn't isn't iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher enough? Um, everybody check out Murder We Pod. Yeah. It's back. It came back this week. And we're on the clock for <laughs> that next episode. That's true. I am on the clock for something, but that's easy. On the clock for my Johnny Lies Over the Ocean. It's easy for me because I don't have to prepare notes like you do. <laughs> I shouldn't have. <laughs> I should not have, but I will. Hey, you got a year off or whatever, 10 months. It's <laughs> true. It's not like nine months off. So yeah, everybody uh, check that one out too. Um, and then we will see you next week for Mailbag and Fruits. Pelt or Joy. Mm.